Well, you could believe Mr. Pecker. My name is Peck. Or you could accept the fact that this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Bill University students Stans, Venkman and Spengler set up shop catching ghosts in New York City. Business starts booming for the fellas until the Environmental Protection Agency stick their nose in, unleashing holy hell onto the city, and only the Ghostbusters can save the day. Ivan Reitman's comedy sci-fi Spookfest was a box office juggernaut, boasting eye-popping special effects and some of the finest comedic talents of the 80s. Its charm has endured throughout the decades. My name is Luke, and with me are Westy. And the flowers are still standing. And Matt. I collect spores, molds, and fungus. All the right movies have the tools, and we have the talent. Hello and welcome to All The Right Movies, a podcast on classic and hit films full of human sacrifices, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make some magic on the show, fellas. Today we're actually mm. touching the etheric plane. It is Ghostbusters. It certainly it is. It really is. Ooh, a big one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How does busting make you feel? Good, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the podcast. <laughs> Before we clean up the town, we're going to let you know about the outstanding exclusive content that you can get your hands on if you become an All The Right Movies Patreon supporter. Mm-hmm. What you're listening to now is our classic podcast, and only the last 20 episodes are available on general release. The rest are tucked away in our archive for our much-loved patrons. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. You can also buy them individually on our website if you prefer. There are over 60 classic episodes in the archive. We've also created 50 podcasts exclusive for our patrons, Mm. and there's a new one every month. Mm -hmm. Sure is. There's no half measures there either. Our exclusive double feature show usually runs between 90 and 105 minutes, so it's definitely worth your while. Yep. Go to patreon.com forward slash all the right movies. There are loads of other benefits of being an ACRM patron, and if you sign up, it keeps us going and allows us to continue to bring you exclusive content every month. So for us... No job is too big, no fee is too big, and if you can support us, it would really help. Yes, It really would. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everyone. Now, back to the film. This is a first for us. We're revisiting a film we talked about in the past. Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters was episode two of our classic podcast back in 2019, and we're now at episode 81, and we felt like some of the films that we talked about in the early days could do with a wash and brush up. Oh, lovely. Wash and brush up. Yeah. So here it is, Ghostbusters in all its glory, Matt. Mm. Why are we talking about it? I was just the absolute perfect age for this film when it came out. Sure thing. Uh, yeah. You know, I was five or six. I loved anything to do with ghosts. And I didn't know what the film was about, but I was in the video shop with my dad and I saw the title oh, yes. and I saw the logo and I was like, what's that? Can I watch yeah. that? And because yeah. this was the day of video shops, I vividly remember picking it up and being confused because the box was empty. 
I was like, well, where's oh, the yeah. video? Yeah, yeah. And my dad was like, well, obviously it's behind the counter so people can't steal it, you idiot. So, you <laughs> yeah. know. You five-year-old idiot. Five-year-old yeah. idiot. How do you not know that? <laughs> Give you a clip around the lug as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then wouldn't let me watch it. No, you can watch Transformers the movie instead. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think if you come to this at the right age, it's just magic, isn't it? It's scary, but not too scary. Funny, but the jokes aren't childish. It's really mm. perfectly pitched, and it has a very unique feel to it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. Well, it's a film that I've had with me since my early years, very much like you, Matt. Mm. When you said that you picked up that video from the the video store, Mm. I had the idea of when you picked it up from the the shelf and you pulled it closer to you, that Mm. it went... (whistles) I wish. (laughs) I really wish. I can imagine. Fantastic. (laughs) It's one of my earliest memories of watching movies, and it's a big contributing factor to why I'm in love with New York City, as discussed over the last many years. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it's one of those very rare breeds where you've got top talent running throughout the cast and the crew, delivering pretty much their best work or on par. Mm. Real lightning in a bottle stuff from production design to performance, music to location shooting. If you were to list all the cast and crew from the film, Ghostbusters, I'm sure, would be a top five highlight in every one of their respective careers. Yeah, yeah probably. I agree with that. And it has been an absolute joy to revisit. So mm. looking forward to this one. What yeah. about you, Westy? I mean, who doesn't like Ghostbusters, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anyone you talk to, as soon as you say Ghostbusters, it's just a smile on people's faces. Yeah. It just has that effect on people. It has such a unique, like Matt said, such a unique tone. Mm-hmm. It's so comedic, but at the same time, it does take itself seriously where it needs mm-hmm. to be. I mean, the score for a start yeah. <laughs> is yeah. brooding and massive. Mm-hmm. It's huge. And yeah. then, you know, you've got loads of ad lib going on, which we'll get into. I think it's just, it is just constantly a joy to watch. It is. And I've got two young children and then they adore the film. Mm-hmm. It has stood up very, very well. It has lasted the test of time. And like Luke said, it was lovely to come back to. So yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah. That makes three of us mm. okay. Ghostbusters was written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramos, produced and directed by Evan Reitman, and distributed by Columbia Pictures for release on the eighth of June nineteen eighty four. Filmed on location in New York with interior shots captured in Los Angeles. It stars Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Harold Ramos and Ernie Hudson as the Ghostbusters with great support coming from Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis, Bill Atherton and Annie Potts. Yeah. Oh yeah. First stop is the New York Public Library where something strange is going on. Listen. You smell something? <laughs> <laughs> There's something strange in your neighborhood. Who you gonna call? Right out of the gate on this one, no messing around. Matt, mm. you're starting us off. Yeah, this is how you grab people's attention, isn't it? Oh, this, yes. pre, this pre-title sequence. <laughs> uh, it, it sums up where you're going to get with the film because it plays it for real. It's genuinely ominous. It's really mm. tense. Like if you only watch this scene, not knowing the rest of the film, you'd think, God, I'm in for a proper horror film here. It's a horror movie yeah. scene, isn't it? It really is. And it's got a really subtle, really simple build-up, you know, books hovering across from one shelf to another, ticket trays popping out and tickets flying everywhere. Really simple, really just very simple, practical effects, but so effective because it is the kind of thing, like, if you saw that in real life, you would lose your shit and freak yeah, of out. of course. Yeah. And <laughs> I think the music is great. We'll talk about that more, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, the Librarian 
small performance are really memorable. Yeah, and yeah. I think, you know, what a good setting this is in the library. Like when she makes a run for it, it genuinely brings to mind the shining for me in that, you know, the library turns into a maze and she's mm-hmm. lost. And mm-hmm. is she lost because she's frightened and she doesn't know what she's doing or is this part of the paranormal activity and it's changing around it? It's got that vibe to oh, me. Lovely. And I love the camera work following around. And then what a cliffhanger because you're dying to see what she's just seen. Yeah. yeah, but then it tells you it's going to be okay because you get that scream, you get that big pushing on a face with a high fine round, and it's really intense. And then the theme music kicks in, <laughs> and then you get Ray Parker Jr. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just to make you feel a bit safe. Like, okay, it's going to take us to the edge, but it's going to be fun. So, like, mm-hmm. say, how do you do a pre-title sequence? You do it like this. Oh yeah, it's so effective, and the, the, I mean the the special effects, like you said, basic, but you know, mm. amazing. I mean, the floating books, they were just books on a wire. It's all very classically done. Technicians yeah, yeah, were behind yeah. the drawers pushing them outwards. Yeah. And copper piping was used to blow air through the shelves to blow the papers out, which I've always loved that when they oh, just it's fly fantastic. out. Yeah. It's yeah. brilliant. brilliant. It's a brilliant yeah. idea and a brilliant One after visual. The other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the sound design on this as mm. well is amazing. The sound design and the score mm. are, I mean, outstanding throughout. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love the intro to Venkman and Stans. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't really notice when I was younger. I thought Venkman was, you know, this great guy because he's funny and outrageous, you mm-hmm. know, appealing traits to a young audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or to me, anyway. Obviously. But he's an absolute arsehole. Man, someone's wrote <laughs> Burn in Hell on his door, man. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. He's exactly. a real sleaze. Yeah. Yeah, he's horrible. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it is a star. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Terrorizing that poor guy, played by Steve Tash, wonderfully yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Only 75 more to go. Yeah, five bucks as well. <laughs> <laughs> I will, mister. I will, mister. You can keep your five bucks. It's when, the, it's when his chewing gum leaves his mouth. Yeah, it just falls out. Yeah. Just, and he puts it back and reads yeah. gingerly. <laughs> yeah, great. And Venkman's doing this just... Seemingly to impress this girl who is at least 15 years younger than him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, students. let's get out of that other way straight yeah. where these guys who uh, look 50s yeah. are supposed to be <laughs> at university. <Yeah. laughs> there's mature students and then there's these guys, a couple mm. of old blokes. Yeah. And Venkman's definitely stayed on just for the chicks. Oh, oh absolutely. Easily, yeah. And like you said, Westy, it's laid out straight away in that establishing shot. Venkman burning hell. He's already got this outrageous reputation. Yeah. But I still think it's pretty remarkable that Bill Murray pulls off the, the fact that we don't hate him throughout mm-hmm. the film. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I yeah. don't think he does anything redeeming, quite frankly, in the in the entire film. <laughs> no, but he's still an endearing character. It's because he's funny. He just brings he that humour yeah, with funny. it. Yeah, yeah. Charming. Yeah. yeah. And he's the perfect opposite side of the coin to Stans, who blows in there with such excitement. He's like a puppy going out on his first walk. <laughs> yes. yeah. This is it. This, this is, is it. definitely yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right in the middle of something, Ray. Yeah. <laughs> Reitman had the idea of introducing Venkman in this less than favorable way. It was his way of testing the audience's willingness to accept that they're hero, given electric shocks. Yeah. So if they buy this, then they'll pretty much swallow anything that this character does. Yeah. yeah. It also works thematically, I think, because Venkman's a complete non-believer and he's basically in it for his own gain. Yeah. And then we've got Egon at the library. Geekazoid 3000. Yeah. Unbelievable, this guy. Egon. Egon. (laughs) I love that. The setup of these characters is so effective. Egon and Stans get maybe 30 seconds of screen time and we know Mm -hmm. everything we need to know about them immediately. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I know they could only use New York Public Library until 10 a.m. for this scene. So, right, when he had to get a rush on, basically get all this footage with three guys when they interview the librarian, he had to do that all really quickly. And then for Uh the downstairs scenes, they had to move production to L.A. and use the uh, public library there. All right. Because they only shot in New York for about three weeks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's like a quintessential New York film. (laughs) It is, yeah. It is, yeah. This bit with the librarian. I mean, it's outrageous. Murray, Murray's great in the interview. Yeah. Are you habitually using drugs, yeah. stimulants, alcohol? Yeah. <laughs> and this poor old lady. Yeah. Yeah. And and are you menstruating right now? She's a good decade post-menopause. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, easy. What has that got to do with anything? <laughs> yeah. And the original line was, fuck off, man, I'm a scientist. And they changed it to back off, man. Just to Family make it a little film. bit lighter. Yeah. <laughs> it's when they actually go down how disjointed Venkman is with everything. And he's mm. just not interested. He doesn't buy it. Ray's so excited. <laughs> Egon's so wary of something. It's just, you can tell these three characters without much dialogue. Mm. I think it's absolutely brilliantly done. Mm-hmm. And like Matt said, just the way the camera kind of follows them around, it's an intriguing scene. And then when you see that floating apparition, mm. but it just turns around and does that shh. Oh, it's terrifying. Which is terrifying, mm. but brilliant. Because, I mean, I, I don't remember being terrified as a kid. I just remember being excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when it changes, and you just hit that immortal line when he's just like, I, I've got an idea. Yeah. <laughs> and just re-emerge around the corner and <laughs> yeah. just creep it up. It's so fucking funny. And he's like, get her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it just explodes into this thing, which just should be like really terrifying, but it's really funny at the same time. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's what they got from the test audiences. They didn't know whether a laugh or be scared by it. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it was really, really good. And it's just there's some, so many lovely touches in this scene. Like there's the symmetrical book stacking thing. Mm. And that was thought of by Reitman when he was driving to film the scene in LA, like you said, Matt. Yeah. Now the line, has right. this ever happened to you before? Yeah. <laughs> it was like not part of the original script. That was all I'd lived. Yeah. But apparently the bookcase did fall down of its own accord. In the oh, really? Sentence. Wow. Yeah, and all wow. the lines were ad-libbed past that. And it's just really strange when you're watching that and you think, how did they do that? Because yeah. <laughs> there's nobody behind it. <laughs> yeah. Because there is a noticeable cut straight as that uh, bookcase falls down. Yeah, and just yeah. misses them as well. <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. Just misses, yeah. This is the fun element of what we're waiting for, and you get it pretty much immediately. Hilarious when Venkman punches that thing out of Egon's hand. Yeah. Stop <laughs> that! Yeah, really funny. Yeah. It's when he's getting the sample, he's like, ugh, yeah. ah, <laughs> ugh. And then he's rubbing his hands on the books as he goes, ah. <laughs> The thing is, though, like the librarian that Westy mentioned, they did make a, an even more ferocious version of that puppet that was planned for the get-her scene, but that right. rejected because it was too intense. And like we're saying, they had to find the right balance of the tone. Yeah, but yeah. it did crop up a year later, though, in another Columbia film. They reused it for Fright Night instead. Oh, right, right they okay. did, yeah. 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 I think that, that amazing front cover as well on Friday. It is, over yeah. the house, yeah. That's a yeah. great post. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 I know that to tone it down, but the effect is, is mm. still pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, it yeah. is. The effect! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the end of Raiders. Things move fast in the ghost-busting world. Following their first spectral encounter, the boys get thrown out of university and set up their own business. They get their first customer, but funds are running low until they get the call that'll change everything. Mm. And we're on our way to the Sedgwick Hotel, where there's all manner of spooky goings on. Matt, that's got to be some cockroach. Bat your head off, man. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Something that's really appealing about this film to me is just how shambolic these guys are. It's not that they're rubbish, they don't know what they're doing. But they are kind of making it up as they go along. So when they turn mm. up at the hotel, I do have sympathy for the manager. Like, 
why are you dressed like that? Who are you? Are you who I've actually called? Like, because <laughs> yeah. they just don't look convincing. He auditioned for Peck, didn't he? Oh, did he? He did. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. And he took that that role as like a like a consolation prize. A consolation. Oh, because he must have come close. Because I, I could see him as Peck. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. great. Yeah, he is. He is great. He's really good. But as Egan points out, they're using equipment that hasn't been tested properly yet. Yeah. And they're just yeah. going straight into it. I mean, I don't think him cramming himself into the corner of the lift when Ray's proton pack is powering up will do much good. Yeah. It would really. just blow. What else are you going to do? <laughs> but they just inch away from <laughs> them. It's inch great. Away, but it's a really funny visual. Like, yeah. trying not and to get the sound of that powering up the is still really is cool. Outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's great. And then what's their grand plan? It's just to wander around a bit and hopefully see something. <laughs> <laughs> and like th- this whole scene to me is testament what you can do with casting if you cast the really small walls well like the guy outside the lift is great you know yeah. i'll take the next one like, yeah he's amazing that's your head off man love yeah. that guy um and that poor mate what the hell are you doing like, <laughs> she's great she's amazing again they're so rubbish they nearly wipe her out just because she turns the corner at the wrong time and <laughs> you kill her nearly kill her and the thing about that scene is that cart was rigged as you'd expect with pyrotechnics and the actress knew there was going to be an explosion she had no idea it was going to be as big as it was so that's her right. genuine response right <laughs> just, you can tell it's genuine that's yeah. the word about this film it's like very genuine all the way through yeah yeah it, it definitely is yeah and then, like I said, they're so like, shambolic about this whole thing. Even when they see Slimer, no one knows what to do. It's looking right at me, Ray. Like, <laughs> Pete's clueless. Ray's too excited to like formulate any kind of useful plans here. This scene sums up for me what I like about these characters, that they're just kind of making it up on the hoof. And it's why kids love this film as soon as you see them as the Ghostbusters. Who doesn't want a proton pack? Yeah, exactly. I still do, 42-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, embarrassing. The whole the whole outfit, the whole outfit. You just want <laughs> yeah. it. You just want to put it on and hold it and run around doing what they do because they're just big kids. Ugly little spud, Andy. Amazing, mate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he can hear you, right? <laughs> Slimer was only given his name in retrospect when the real Ghostbusters cartoon came out in 1986, which I also really, really loved. Yeah, yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah, yeah got fun. all the figures and got the firehouse. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> fantastic. But yeah, in the script, he's referred to as Onion Head which is outrageous. Yeah. And he was based on John Belushi as Zach yeah. Roy's tribute to him after he died. I mean, that's quite a tribute. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, not, not complimentary no, in many it's, respects. Yeah, no. It's based a lot on Animal House. I can see that when yeah. he's just yeah, stuffed in his face. Aykroyd claimed that there was a lot of smoking in the film mm. to show how much stress that these guys were under, you know, cleaning up the town. They were very busy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He asserted that he wasn't promoting smoke. And I think that's maybe an argument in retrospect. Yeah. There's quite a bit when you watch it again. Yeah. Oh, there's loads. Yeah. But that image of Stan's cigarette dangling from his yeah. mouth when he first sees Slimer oh, is magnificent. Yeah, yeah it's so funny. That's Man. great. <laughs> 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 great. And this was shot at the Biltmore Hotel in LA, which stood in for the Sedgwick. Right, right. And again, like most of the interiors, the majority was, was shot in LA. Well, as you know, I love a ballroom. Um, oh yes of course <laughs> shining the shining this yeah. and that's about it yeah. <laughs> strictly ballroom I guess I've <laughs> never seen it never seen it either <laughs> their absolute disregard for the players is hilarious yeah as if they are doing the most it's important job in the world and this whole scene to me seems ad-libbed I don't mm-hmm. really yeah. feel much of this was scripted at all. The flowers are still standing. I've always wanted to try this. It's like, it, oh. is the camera even on him? Does he know that? Or is he just 
taking the piss on the scent, just being like, I've always wanted to actually do this. Mm. Trashing the entire room. Yeah. Picking the tables up, throwing them across the room. That's amazing. It's just ridiculous. And that's what I just really love about this. The first shot just brings the chandelier down. And it's just the reactions from the manager outside. Oh, and he hears what's yeah. going on inside. And he's like, I assure you the room will be ready when your parties arrive. And it's like, it won't be at all. Pandemonium. The absolute yeah. pandemonium. And then when you get to the end of it, and it's the, that amazing shot of Slimer just disappearing behind the bar. When he just does that kind of like flip. Yeah. yeah. And he just like flips when lands behind the bar. I just love that. And then when you see the trap, you see the trap for the first time. You're mm. like, when you're a kid, you're like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like, don't look direct now. I looked in the trap, Ray. <laughs> 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 just transfixed with it. They haven't got a fucking clue what's going on. We don't have a clue what's going on. But again, it's just these three guys together just having loads and loads of fun in that room. Yeah. And I don't really think Reitman had to do much direction here. I think mm. it's just no. wonderful. No. And then when Kids they leave, off. yeah, with that smoke and trap, <laughs> And the way Ray turns around and says, well, that wasn't such a chore now, was it? Like, I love <laughs> yeah. that line. So good, so well delivered. And it's just, the whole place is fucking ruined. Yeah, yeah. trail of devastation that they've left. That wasn't a chore, was it? Ah, <laughs> oh, it's incredible. Well, the thing that I, well, I've got a question about in this moment is, where did Stans get those, like, binocular things from? And what is their purpose? Because mm. he sees exactly what he would see with just his eyes. <laughs> Oh, right. I thought yeah, they were night yeah, vision. That's a good point. They look like night vision. <laughs> they look like night vision, but when yeah. you see through like the lens of them, right. it's just the same as like <laughs> Benkman's seeing. Brilliant. <laughs> like I say, they don't know what they're doing, really. He hasn't got a clue. No, they yeah. don't. No, they just great. look cool. Yeah. <laughs> they do. Production design's amazing. Mm. Well, I love the aftermath of this, the interaction with the hotel manager. Mm. Egon signaling Venkman about the cost of entrapment <laughs> yeah. and yeah. storage of the really beast. Totally, Four yeah. big one. Yeah. <laughs> four, that's only going to come to four big ones <laughs> and this guy Michael Ensign he's uh, five thousand dollars I had no idea it would be so much I won't pay yeah. it's just incredible that's a line that I always try and squeeze into everyday conversation <laughs> I love it <laughs> and quite easy to do nowadays if yeah. honest yeah. <laughs> And what a joy the montage is after that. Just a real fun way to show the progression of these guys and how they're taking over the city. But I just wish, wish, wish there was another film shot at the time that covered this whole period. Two-hour film of these guys just building up their reputation. Oh, cleaning up the, yeah. Call it cleaning up the town. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I <laughs> yeah. love that. Probably got the yeah. title. Of course, there's that very odd dream sequence moment where Stan mm. gets much more than he bargained for from a floating female ghost. Yeah. Looking at it now, I mean, it's an outrageous scene. Yeah. But it had a much bigger part in a deleted scene. Ray and Winston go to this old army base called Fort Detmurin to check out some paranormal activity. Right. And for some reason, Stans winds up in a French officer's uniform, <laughs> reading French poetry before taking a little nap. Right. Which is insane. Right. And then he gets a, a visit from a very friendly ghost. <laughs> right. A little sexier than Casper. <laughs> Just a little... <laughs> <laughs> really strange scene which ends with Winston knocking on the door saying Ray come on Ray yeah. and Ray shouts out later man <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> it's ridiculous in one of the early drafts of the screenplay Aykroyd wrote a note in the margins describing a female ghost as romantic and sexy and seducing Chevy Chase so he obviously had Chase in mind right oh, okay right. right Aykroyd said that a seductive ghost is commonplace in the paranormal and he also said that quotes i've got a friend who had three women visit him in a haunted house in louisiana and it was one of the greatest nights of his entire life wow really 
He's not all there, I cry, to be fair. Like, <laughs> no. Some of the stuff he's come out but with he's over the years. fully yeah. behind it, though, isn't he? Of course he, loves he is. It. 100%, it's, yeah. it's such an odd scene to keep in, though. It, it, it is. Really it is. Odd. It's such yeah. a really, it's a really weird scene. Yeah. Do you remember as a kid, though, just not getting it? Nah, not at no. all. <laughs> not, not I didn't all. even think about no. it. No. Does oh, there's no. a ghost and he's in a uniform. Why is he being unzipped? Doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah doesn't matter. Out of bed. Yep, fine. Yeah. <laughs> in the montage, there's a moment where the Ghostbusters are being chased by a security guard, and this was for real because it's shot at Rockefeller Center, which is privately owned, and you need a permit to shoot there. And I think these were like the earliest scenes shot. Them just running yeah. around oh, right. and out in their outfits. Oh, amazing! You can see the guy chasing after him, just shouting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just the look on it's the look on Bill Murray's face of pure defiance as usual, just loving it, just running <laughs> yeah. down that street. Yeah. Great. And I know the Ghostbusters hotline that they give out in the film, that was live during its theatrical release. You could ring it up. And if you did, you'd hear a recorded message from Marion Ackroyd saying they couldn't answer the call because there'd been a possible infestation in a theatre in Broadway backstage. And if you continued listening, there were also some pretty outrageous comments made about the girls from the show responding to Ackroyd and Mary's equipment. Wow. Mm. (laughs) Wouldn't fly today now, would it? No, no, No. you wouldn't go with that. Nope. Yeah, I think they say they're going to have to spend a lot of time with them. Right, yeah. <laughs> God. Just lads, isn't it, having a laugh? Yeah, lads having a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you lads. <laughs> so a great opening to Ghostbusters. Mm. Disgusting blobs in the Sedgwick, but the boys are <laughs> headed for a disaster of biblical proportions. Yes, they, yes, are. they are. The director... The director of the piece was Big Ivan Reitman, directing his fifth feature. So his work on the film, and I'm going to kick us off here. Mm. Okay. And films like this, films from your youth, when you come back to them, you generally can see their flaws and their rewatchability diminishes yeah. as a result. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But this film is evergreen. Mm. It's fantastic. Aykroyd deserves a lot of credit, but Reitman really brought best in class into production to give it layers well beyond the, let's be honest, Slightly ludicrous narrative. Yes. Yeah, massively ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got Elmer Bernstein on music duties. Mm-hmm. He's got such st- high stature, he scored The Great Escape, The Man with the Golden Arm, To Kill a Mockingbird, an Oscar winner. Yeah. No messing around with Bernstein in no. there. Magnificent Seven as well. Yeah, Magnificent Seven. Yeah, yeah. The list Huge. is endless. Yeah. It is. And then you've got Laszlo Kovac shooting the film. <laughs> he shot Easy Rider, The King of Marvin Garvin, yeah. New York, New York. Yeah. Serious talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And John DeCure, who designed all the incredible sets, gives it a very gothic feel. He worked on The Naked City, the noir from the 40s. Yeah, yeah. And right. Cleopatra, for Christ's sake. <laughs> oh, One of the biggest hell. productions yeah. in Hollywood the history. Sets ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So although at the heart of the film, it seems like a slightly dated, maybe throwaway comedy, there are these incredible layers to production which add so much weight to the film. Reitman added all of these serious elements to production, knowing that the comedy from the actors and the writing would speak for itself. Mm. Yeah. And it yeah. De- definitely does. And in doing so, he's made one of the great New York films. Yeah. Two scenes that I really love, just for the scale and the incredible location, which give the film loads of gravitas. Firstly, right at the start when the guys are thrown off campus and they're coming up with a business plan. Mm-hmm. Call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's shot at Columbia University, Uptown Manhattan. Location's incredible. Mm-hmm. Murray's delivery is incredible. Yeah. And the music gives me goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, Ray. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know. Slug and booze. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cut. You'll never regret this, Ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ray on the verge of tears already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then the scene at Central Park West. 
the Upper West Side, where Venkman <laughs> nice. sees Dana with the guy who's got the cold, who's the stiff. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just more of the same. Location's incredible. Mm. There's a grandiosity about how it's shot and it's sweetly romantic between mm-hmm. Fenkman and Dana. Mm. Yeah. At the same time, being cheekily funny and sarcastic. The, yeah. I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you, sir. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Yeah. The location is a character as well. Yeah, and... the location's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Reitman's pulled all the strings together. He's got best in class on board and he has created magic with Ghostbusters for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think what he does is he knows what he's got to work with and he knows he's got the best of the best behind him Mm. or in front of him. And I think it's the space that he gives the actors and the freedom that they seem to have and how unjudgmental he is as a director, how it doesn't seem like he's ruling with an iron fist. That He just basically has got the best team he possibly can and he wants everyone to just do what they do best. Mm -hmm. And that's what he does and that's what a great director does. I mean, he's also the executive producer on Space Hunter. Let's not forget about that. How could we? Yeah, achievement. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you look at these two films before this, like Meatballs, Stripes, and then Ghostbusters, mm. they all have this real charm. They all have yeah. this real freedom. Mm. They all really have like a very ad-libbed style that he knows mm. for a fact what he's going to get from his actors. And I think that's what I really love that he's brought that here. And yeah, it's just backed up, like you said, Luke, just like the best of the best. And then the comedic performances, you still see something new in this film every time you watch it. There's still a line somewhere. There's still a mm. glance somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's still something. If you lo- if you watch close enough, it's so loaded with genius. Oh, it's irresistible. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to put down. It's very very hard to turn off. And that it's right when that makes this timeless for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what you get here, it's, it's one of these cases where I don't think it's a film so much where there's a definite imprint from the director on it as in the vision because no. I just don't think Reitman is one of those directors. He's but, not, no. He, no. But what's impressive is you have to consider everything that he's got to balance, big effects sequences, horror, comedy, a very substantial cast. And I just think he's mm. the glue that holds it all together, which I think is what Wes yeah. is saying. And I don't think he could do that unless he had the ability to get everyone on side. I mean, just look at the cast. You've got Ackroyd who had absolutely bananas ideas for where this film could go and Reitman's got to respect that because he's written it but he also has to keep a lid on it and I'm sure Ramis had ideas about where this film could go because he's a writer Mm -hmm. he's a button director and Reitman again has to respect him but he also has to keep it his film and then you've got Mary and Mary can be a notoriously prickly customer to work with oh yes you know easily fallen out with is Bill Murray and I think the fact Reitman had already worked with him on Meatballs and on Stripes that yeah. keeps him on side because mm. I think there's a sense that he really has Murray's respect and there is the sense that everyone respects him. And yeah. I think and it, it's like Reitman is the adult in the room, I think, during this in, in terms yeah. of the actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he says something, he's got the authority that they will listen. It's like, say, Ackroyd comes out with some crazy ideas and Reitman's got to be the one that says, well, that sounds great. It's going to look incredible, but it doesn't serve the story. And yeah. I've got a budget yeah. in this one scene goes way over the budget. So we're, we're going to yeah, have to yeah. lose that. You know, yeah. and as we said, there's a lot of improvisation going on here because it's a cast full of comics and Reitman has to be the one who goes, okay, guys, that was funny, but we've got to get back to the script. This ad lib isn't helping. It doesn't progress the scene. Let's get back to yeah. it. And everyone does that. Everyone follows his lead. And I don't think he's going to be able to do any of that unless, like say, everyone believes in him and his ability to land this film because, got to remember, this is 1984. So when you look at the special effects this film needs, the gore sequences, I'm sure the first question from any producer is, what's Spielberg doing right now? (laughs) The question isn't, what's the director of Stripes doing right now? Like This is such a huge step up for him. And the fact that he takes all these chaotic elements, these things he's never had to work with before, this huge cast, 
and he stitches it all together like it's no big deal. That cool dad, isn't he? He's like, I don't yeah. mind if he's all drinking in the house as long as nobody drives. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Don't be silly. If you do it under my roof and I can supervise you, yeah. then that's kind of what <laughs> yeah. he's like. And he, and he leaves him to get on with it until it's his time to turn, a, turn yeah. the music off at 3 a.m. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not sexy, but he's got a lot of control over what's going on here, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Because there could have been chaos. It and like Matt been. said, I think a lot of respect from a lot of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much. Reitman came on board after Aykroyd approached him with his treatment for the film. More on that later. Mm-hmm. But he had concerns about the budget required to develop the idea. Mm. An estimated $300 million <laughs> at the time. Christ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is like a billion now. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> Cleopatra 2. Yeah. yeah. He suggested to have it set in modern day instead of outer space and like the idea of Ghostbusters starting their own business because mm. he wanted to ground the idea by having the guys as kind of like regular working stiffs who yeah. have to deal with relatable things like going to the bank, fixing up the offices, yeah. dealing with the real estate agents. Mm-hmm. And he started off with the idea of them being a university, calling it the domino theory of reality. So as long as he took the audience through a series of credible choices, mm. they were more inclined to believe the story as more crazy shit happened yeah, later yeah. on in the film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And once the idea was in place, Ripe and Rent to Frank Price, and he was the president of Columbia Pictures at the time, to pitch it when Price right. asked how much it would cost, obviously not $300 million. Reitman held the piece of paper which he'd written the treatment on. He held it in the air and he went, well, feels like $30 million to me, which was basically <laughs> if we pulled out of the air. <laughs> right. well, it, was, it was three times the cost of stripes, but Price went for it immediately. The only thing he asked was he wanted to guarantee that it would be out by June 1984, which was 30 months on from the date of that meeting. <laughs> I mean, how much is this going to be? 30 million? Yeah, that sounds fine. Yep, cool. Wow. No problem yeah. at all. Yep. And to help sell the idea visually, Aykroyd recorded a video of himself in a jumpsuit wearing a proton pack. <laughs> which would be oh, of he did. <laughs> yeah, but the film was largely sold on the stars already attached. Murray, Reitman and Aykroyd all had big hits behind them. The story wasn't discussed in detail as the details were very sketchy at best. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah, we'll get into that in the yeah. screenplay section. But with those talents behind you, I mean, you can't go wrong really, can you? No, no. So not a visionary director like many we've talked about on previous shows, but Reitman pulls the whole thing together amazingly well. Surely still his greatest directorial achievement. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The cast. The cast of Ghostbusters and what a cast it is. Yes. Although it could have looked much different many times over. Yeah. Westy. Yeah. Who've you picked out as your favourite? Well, I got in there first and I got Bill Murray, thankfully. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Bastard just, as soon yeah, as I saw I that. <laughs> I know. Um, just the, the charisma from this guy, the confidence yeah. from this guy, the comedy chops on this guy, everything he says is absolute gold. Mm-hmm. And I it just is. I want to see more outtakes. I want to see what he did in certain <laughs> in certain environments and how he addressed that. But to me, he was absolutely perfect as Venkman. You just hear Venkman and you just go, that's exactly what you want the guy to be and the way he just treats Ray <laughs> smacks him about the come way here he Francine just, yeah. yeah and the way I mean the way he treats everybody he thinks he's so high and mighty yeah. and he's like when the mayor goes in now, they all want to see the Ghostbusters and he's like oh I've got to go and talk to him he wants to talk to me about some shit yeah. Yeah. it's just like that all the way through and he just exudes this 80s charisma and it's fantastic to see. But when he just jumps over when he sees Dana Barrett, mate, it's oh, just genius. 
He just he, bolts up. He just bolts up. You see him in the background like a meerkat. Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's such a hound, isn't he? Like, oh, yeah, and like we've said at the top, you're not supposed to like this guy. He's no. a lech. He's a sleaze. Yeah, he's, yeah, a, he's a game show host, like she describes <laughs> him. Yeah, yeah, great. He had all of these different props and things left out, and he, he chose that squeezy thing. Uh, <laughs> he goes yes. around What's there. He actually chose that, and he's yeah. like. I don't know what that is, but I'm just going to use it. And it's hilarious. So watchable. Such mm. a great performance. And it is. It's classic, classic Bill Murray. That scene when he first goes back to Dana's apartment, yeah. it's a comedy two to force. It is, yeah. absolutely. I mean, he's, he's a real perv. Yeah. Just laying it all on the table. She says, that's the bedroom, but nothing ever happened in there. <laughs> what a crime. <laughs> <laughs> Just under his breath, though, isn't it? What a crime. <laughs> That's right, boys. It's Dr. Dr. Beckman. Yeah. yeah. Just playing on the piano. Yeah. They hate this. <laughs> no kiss. Yeah. Absolute dick. Absolute dick. Yeah. Really absolutely irresistible. So charming. Yeah. So funny. Fantastic. Yeah. Murray was penciled in from a very early stage after the death of John Belushi, who Aykroyd originally wrote the role for, mm. and they were best buddies. Yeah. Despite Murray yep. saying yes to Venkman, considering his aloof reputation, Reitman wasn't fully confident he would turn up until the day before filming started. Yeah. The day before filming, yeah. thirty million. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Columbia Pictures. Columbia yeah. Pictures. That's, uh, that's something that happened when they filmed Meatballs. Didn't know if he was going to show up. He's got the reputation. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's continued that oddball reputation Mm. for the last 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Ackroyd said, whenever you can actually put a script in Billy's hand, as if you were a process server, you've got to look him in the eye and say, you did receive this. (laughs) (laughs) You've been served. (laughs) Well, he doesn't have an agent, does he? He just has an answer phone message. So if anyone wants him to be in a film, They've got a ring and yeah. leave an answer for a message. Is that a fact? Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it oh, could be an amazing. urban legend. It's only what I heard. Probably. Yeah. Probably, it's yeah. Possibly being the only person who on. doesn't have to ring is Wes Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just turns up. And I know that when Sigourney Weaver first met him on set, typical Murray behaviour, he called Susan. He lifted her up over his shoulders and walked down Fifth Avenue with her. <laughs> like, you know, he just likes to physically pick women up as well as metaphorically. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she she was charmed by him. Immediately she fell in love with him. Yeah. Which is not often the reports that we're getting about Bill Murray these days. No, It's strange, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I don't think Weave's the type to take any shit either. No, certainly not. I I I just think the world has changed around Bill Murray and Bill Murray hasn't changed for the world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just the way things are. Harold Ramos told this incredible story about Bill Murray on set. He said, the first day we were shooting in New York... Bill and Danny and I were just hanging out on the street and everyone recognized Bill and Danny from SNL. Mm -hmm. Someone walked by and said, hey, Bill Murray. And Bill said in a mock angry voice, you son of a bitch. And he grabbed the guy and wrestled him to the ground. He said, just a passerby. And the guy was completely amazed and laughing all the way to the ground. And Murray just left him there. Doesn't he go to people in restaurants and just steal the food and then whisper, no one's going to believe you? Yeah, yeah, he does. Or, or, he, or he puts his hands over the rice and says, it's Bill Murray, but no one will believe this happened. Yeah, then walks yeah. Off. yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Does, yeah. In his own world, it's Bill Murray's world. The Murricane. Yeah. yeah. Following the sad passing of Belushi, the names considered for the role of Venkman before Murray came on board were Michael Keaton, Tom mm. Hanks, Robin Williams, Eddie Murphy, Chevy Chase, Steve Gutenberg. Kind of all, all the tick boxes of the, yeah. the, the mid-80s, those, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Ackroyd said there would have been no success without Murray. We don't do these things alone, but I credit 50% of the success of that whole adventure to him and we'll never see the likes of it again. Too true. Matt, Mm. who's your cast pick? I'm going to go for Ackroyd because he's just a big kid, isn't he? Yeah, he's so so appealing as a character. And I think a large part of that does come down to the fact that Ackroyd is bang into all this stuff in real life. He loves it. He's a true believer. Yeah, anything yeah. supernatural, paranormal, he's well into it, and it, that just feeds yeah. into the performance. And like, it's like when they get back to the office from the library, and he's like, "Hey, Dean Jaeger." <laughs> no one else is happy to see Dean Jaeger. Yeah. Not even yeah. Dean Jaeger is happy to see Dean Jaeger <laughs> in this moment. But Ray, it's like, "Hey, it's someone else. It's someone else I can talk to." It, yeah. He's so giddy. Yeah, it's like you mentioned in his first scene. He's like a puppy dog. He's just yeah. like bouncing up and wanting to lick people. It's very and happy. Yeah. You get the same attitude when they see the firehouse. Like Egon listening to all the reasons they absolutely <laughs> shouldn't be by in this place. But how happy is Ray about the fireman's pole? Yeah. You know, Does this pole still work? <laughs> we should stay here tonight. Like sleep here. Yeah, you know, try here. it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get my stuff. Yeah. His stuff. Yeah. He just wants to hang out with his mates and have a laugh and look for ghosts. That's all he wants. But then, like, as a kid, he just totally screws himself because he's the one that ends up having to take out the mortgage on his folks' home just to afford this place. And it's yeah. that childlike nature, though. Like he's so easily manipulated by Venkman into doing whatever Venkman wants him to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he doesn't think about the consequences. And I think he, he just brings a lovely blend to all these guys. You know, Fankman, he brings the sarcasm. Egon is the intellectual. Winston has the the kind of practical blue-collar element. And, and Ray is the guy who brings the heart to this team. And I think Very he's much. a lot about why this team is accessible to the audience. And I mention this pretty much every time we talk about Ackroyd, but he's just got that gift for delivering dialogue so rapidly yeah, really ah, is computer? at the same time. It, yes, it's like computer. Yeah. Like the best example yeah. is when he confronts Gosa, and I, I'm not even going to try to mimic. I'm no, just going to say what that line is. It's impossible. As a duly designated representative of the city, county, and state of New York, I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. I mean, Jesus Christ, <laughs> what a mouthful! <laughs> I'm like, there's no cut either. It's all, it's just one take on that that delivery. That's hard to say slowly. (laughs) You got through it, Matt. Yeah, it was beautifully done. Just about. Can we speed it up somehow? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would love to go at the pace of Ackroyd. And and I guarantee no one else could make that work apart from Ackroyd. I guarantee, Mm -hmm. like, give Dan that line. No one else can deliver that. When they're doing the ads Hmm. and he's going through it all, I mean, he's just rapid fire. There are outtakes in those ads and yeah. he's going faster and faster it's it's yeah. incredible to yeah. see yeah. yeah it's unbelievable and the other thing that's unbelievable is that he's probably given himself these lines yeah oh he's yeah given himself this challenge yeah. it's like I can do wow yeah. yeah no problem he's such an irresistible character lovely man he just comes across mm. i feel with Agroyd that there's absolutely no ego he gives yeah. the majority of the gags to the other cast members really yeah he does yeah. all yeah. for the good of the film mm-hmm. yeah there was this kind of agreement on set that if we make the other guy look good, then we'll all look good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a philosophy that we share on this show, right, fellas? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I think if you think of Ackroyd's career, he's done that for everybody. He did that for Belushi and the Blues Brothers. He did mm-hmm. it for Tom Hanks and Dragnet, like we've said. He does yeah. give people that, oh, he that space. Does. Yeah, he does. He's great as a two-piece. Yeah, is, yeah. definitely. Yeah, two-hander. Well, I've picked out Sigourney Weaver. Oh, nice. Yes. 
as Dana Barrett. Mm. Magnificent weaver. What's more to say that hasn't been said? I mean, yeah. she is incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As Dana Barrett, but in her whole career as well. Mm-hmm. I do feel as though she's slightly marginalised in this huge cast because her talent is much bigger than the role she's got here. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. She said she was looking for a change of direction from serious roles that she was known for. And she turned up at her audition doing a dog impersonation, barking and growling on all Brilliant. fours and, and biting the furniture. <laughs> Love to see Excellent. that. Because she was under the impression that she would have to act as one of the turret dogs, not right. taking oh, into right. consideration like the effects work. Because <laughs> she's like <laughs> a, th- a theatre background, so she thought she would have to be an actual dog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but she's worked on Alien. She knows what special yeah. effects are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Reitman signed her up straight away after the, that audition, but mm. told her, don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> but I know she was looking for a change of direction from less serious roles, but this isn't a comedic role, really, is it? No. She's, no. she's basically the straight person, or one mm-hmm. of the straight people. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have just fallen into farce. But because she's got such great acting chops, she's able to sell her fear and confusion about a dog being in her fridge <laughs> with absolute believability. Yeah. I never questioned that at all. No, I no. totally believe her. Yeah. And her transformation to Zool, the gatekeeper, mm-hmm. is outstanding. She's able to be like sexy and alluring mm. and really scary at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Four feet off her covers. <laughs> <laughs> she barks, she drools, she crawls. <laughs> Ivan Reitman does the voice of possessed Dana. He does the slimer noises for that matter as well. All right. There is no Dana all in his own. Right. What a lovely singing voice you must have. (laughs) (laughs) Reitman was in awe of Weaver because she was such a a revered actress, theatre trained, almost method. But conversely, she was in awe of his work and all the people around her. Aykroyd, Murray, Ramos, she said she had the time of her life. And you can tell it comes across on the screen. Everybody did, I think. That's Mm -hmm. why it's such an enjoyable experience. Yeah. After the film came out, Sigourney Weaver said she, had a, she once had a fire at her apartment and the firemen came to put it out. One of them opened the refrigerator and said, whoa, you better call the Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> what a prick. Amazing. <laughs> that, would be, that would be my crack, wouldn't it? That would be <laughs> stupid like that. <laughs> Biggest eye roll ever from Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> okay, so to finish us off on the cast, we've got a one-two combination from our Patreon supporters. Okay. That's another benefit of signing up. We'll answer your questions live on the show. We've got two here, and the first comes from Paul Devine. Hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. Paul says, let's say Ghostbusters didn't exist, so we're not talking about the reboots or sequels, quite right. Right, okay. Okay. And it was about to be made now for the first time. Mm -hmm. Same director, same soundtrack, same vibe. Recast Ghostbusters says primarily the main four, but optional suggestions for Janine, Lewis, Dana, Goza, Peck. You can choose any actors from any era, Let's just go with the main four Ghostbusters, shall we? Yeah. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Yeah. Well, I've got right, everyone. Yeah. If you've got oh, everyone, Westy, you throw <laughs> it in. Of course I've got everyone. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> I've got the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. Why don't you start us off then, Westy? Okay, well, it is a quite a confused list, and I don't really think they'd work as a cast. I mean, I wouldn't okay. replace anyone in Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. But Venkman, Jack Nicholson. Okay, from what era? Okay, Cuckoo's Nest, kind of 70s. Brilliant. Right. So he's a bit, he's a yeah, bit crazy, crazy. A bit, bit out there. Yeah. Uh, and then I've gone quite modern. I've gone Ryan Gosling for stands because of his comedy chops. I think that would be quite okay, good. Yeah, and yeah. he plays that kind of ditzy. Ed Helms, I went for Spengler just because he looks like him. All right, yeah, yeah, I can <laughs> okay, see that. Okay, that's a great shout. Yeah. yeah. Donald Glover for Winston, but I would have a bigger role. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. I've went really classic. I went Janine, Marilyn Monroe. 
Just I heard that's no, ridiculous. Just shouting, we've got, we've got one. Just singing it. That would be amazing. <laughs> Mr. President, Mr. President, we got one. It'd be so good. Lewis Tully, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> now, <laughs> like, like Zodiac, Zodiac vibes. Yeah, but like weird. Not like not as ditzy. Dana Meryl Streep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Have to. Uh, Goza yeah. David Bowie. Yes, amazing. With the flat top. Yeah, and classic. <laughs> Peck, I, I went for John Lithgow for Peck, so I think he could play that dickhead oh, role. Yes. Much yeah. like the Santa Claus. Very <laughs> nice. <laughs> some some out there choices, some great choices, Westy. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Thanks. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I went like backwards with all my choices. I previously was so for yeah. Venkman, I've gone Walter Matthau. I do think they've got that kind of wow. rumpled, cynical quality. I could, okay. I could see Matt out doing some of these scenes. Mm-hmm. Matt, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, wow, yeah. Matt, yeah. Wow, yeah. Nice. Uh, so if you've got Matt out on there, I had to go with uh, Jack Lemon for Ray. Got to keep the, you know. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Classic. I think. It chose itself. Yeah, it, do, it, do, it did. It really did. Yeah. It really itself, did. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Wilder directed. Billy Wilder directed. <laughs> Shirley McLean is there, Janine. <laughs> Got to get all the guys in there. Oh, yeah. Love it. Yeah, Sydney Poitier is Winston. And then I think Alec Guinness would have made a good Egon. Wow. Oh, I nice. Mean, Alec Guinness. Yeah. Wow. Free reign just to lo- load it up with crazy choices. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alec Why Guinness. Why not? Why not? You would have yeah. hated this indeed. more than he hated Star Wars. Yeah, probably or more than likely, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Sydney Poitier. Love it. <laughs> I mean, I absolutely love Sydney Poitier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He is incredible. Great yeah. choices. Okay. I mean, I just wouldn't touch it because of, you know, of all the things that we've been saying so far, but that's obviously yeah. no fun, and that's not what Paul wants to hear either. Course so not. for the purposes of this, I am going to throw Eddie Murphy in there as Venkman. Oh, oh right. nice. Right. At this time, 84, Wisecrack and Best, Beverly Hills Cop, yeah. get it in there. Love him. Yeah. He would have ad-libbed the whole thing as well. Of course yeah. he would. Yeah. And he's got the chops to do that. Yeah. I'm going to throw Martin Short in there as Stan's. Nice. Oh, okay. okay, yes. I've always had a soft spot for Short, which has been completely reignited with Only Murders in the Building. I don't know if you've I've seen I've heard this. good things. I've I haven't seen it yet, though. Seen it's magnet. He is incredible. In oh, okay, it. I'll give yeah. him a watch. He's one of the best physically comedic actors out mm. there. He just needed the right material. Is, yeah. is this going to be the three amigos and Eddie Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. It isn't. <laughs> no, isn't it? <laughs> for i I'm going to throw an obvious one in here. Do you want to guess? No, you go for it. No. Luis Guzman, obviously. Oh, obviously. God. <laughs> yeah. God, I should You'd expect that. No. I was thinking 80s, though, you see. Yeah, I was. <laughs> well, any era. Right, I know. Right. But I think it would be really funny seeing him not understanding anything about the science behind all of this and walking mm. around like in here's a confusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like years and out of sight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. great. Yeah. And finally, for Egon, and it's a curveball, but I'm going to throw in Little Howry in there. I loved oh, him right. as Rod right. in Get Out, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he needs much more exposure. Yeah. Oh, fair yeah. enough, yeah. So get him in there. Right. What do you think about that? Yeah, good. <laughs> unexpected. Great choices. Yeah. <laughs> it was unexpected. Yeah. Well, apart from Guzman, obviously, yeah. well, we dropped the ball on that. It was yeah. ridiculous. I'd had Guzman as Slimer, personally, but <laughs> I'd say that. <laughs> An outrageous slur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's got range. <laughs> he can play anything. Yeah. At least Belushi was range. dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks for the question, Paul. Yeah, thanks, yes, Paul. Thank that you, was fun. And that leads us to our second Patreon question, and this one is from Anna Randall. Good to hear from you, Anna. Hello, Hello Anna. Anna. Anna says, my favourite film, 
Ghostbusters. Oh. And I do a damn good Janine impression, but that's for another time. Need to hear that. I don't know when that could be, but... No? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're talking about Ghostbusters, so it's, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not going to fit in on the Cuckoo's Nest episode, I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, question is, there are four All The Right Movies, fellas, and mm-hmm. four Ghostbusters. Mm. We're not including honorary Lewis Tully, and nor right. will we ever. No. no. So who would play who? <laughs> Oh, who's going to go first here? Oh, well. <laughs> Always a little spiky, these questions. Could be yeah, some boost egos at the end of this I one. I know. Yeah. Okay, Westy, go. Oh, I'm going to have to be diplomat. Everyone's going to put themselves as Venkman, aren't they? Let's be honest. So, no, I didn't. Uh, well, we'll okay. see. I'll be Venkman. Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'll have John as Spengler just because he loves the Star Trek reference and he's got that nerdy vibe, so that's fine. Yeah. Luke, you'd have to go Ray because you're always in a good mood. <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> uh, matt are you go winston because you you joined last <laughs> yeah <laughs> westy that's incredible i have chosen exactly the same have you exactly the same so oh. matt is zedamore matt you were late to the fold mm-hmm. you joined the atrm team about a year into the podcast game mm-hmm. when we needed a unique talent to bear the load solid yeah. dependable and a wonderful man but you got me instead <laughs> they weren't available yeah. Yeah. so we had to fall back on you I'm having John down as Egon and this is purely because of his technical prowess Egon has a unique understanding of the Ghostbusters world around him his knowledge is unrivaled and John's is like that for ATRM yes. Absolutely. and it's very very clear Westy that you were Venkman, unpredictable I can see you sadistically electrocuting people given half the chance slightly disinterested at times but comes through <laughs> when it counts <laughs> just a couple of wavy lines <laughs> it is a star yeah come on <laughs> and stands for me my best friend always says that i look like Aykroyd, and it's an outrageous slur because i don't at all and and it's not blues brothers Aykroyd. it's pudgy Aykroyd from ghostbusters onwards that yeah, he has like draws the evolution. likeness <laughs> gross point blank Aykroyd. Grove. Bit, really yeah, funny. Yeah. popcorn popcorn <laughs> <laughs> So that's me, excitable, emotional, and won't let you down. Ackroyd stands. <laughs> Lovely. Very well thought out. Mm. Matt. Yeah. Have you got the same or different? I've got the same. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much for all the same reasons. I am Winston. I was the last one to join the crew. Um, yeah. John Egon, he's just the brains of the outfit, isn't it? Like, yeah. He yeah. starts talking about things like Twitter algorithms, and I'll just go, what? I'll, I'll just zone out. Just. <laughs> Who knew I've gone cross-eyed? Yeah, <laughs> tell me what to do, John. I don't know. John. Do I yeah, don't don't know. <laughs> and then you know, then it came to you too, because you know which one of you wants to be the sleazy sex pest, and who wants to be the excitable big kid who nearly ruins it for everyone and destroys the world? Just because no Wesley doesn't believe anything about anything paranormal or supernatural, he has to be Bankman, and that leaves yeah. you as Ray Luke. So no explanation for me, just the, the last one standing. Well, you look like him as well, so... All right, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking, what a Venkman thing to do, put myself as Venkman. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I'm Venkman. Obviously, I'm Venkman. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Well, a great way to finish off our conversation on the cast. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, yes, Paul. Thanks, Keep them coming, everyone. Yes, thank, thank you. you, guys. Yeah. Sorry if you're expecting different choices. We we just know each other too well, I think. We do. We do, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. glad that we all fell in the same place on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, there are strong performances throughout that we're not able to get to. Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts, Bill Atherton. Mm. Not a bad performance in the cast. No, they're not, all wonderful. Not at all.
This episode of All The Right Movies is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work and not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to all ATRM listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash ATRM. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ATRM. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of All the Right Movies. The Middle. Before the second act, Winston Zeddemore signs up and Ghostbusters HQ gets paid a visit from the Environmental Protection Agency. There's something big on the horizon for the crew, that's a big Twinkie, mm-hmm. and it leads us right to Spook Central amid the celebrations of Lewis Tully's painful house party. <laughs> yeah. Agonizing. Matt, yeah. you want to start us yeah. off? looks loads of fun, that, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I mean, poor Dan here, like zero luck, can't even sneak past his apartment without him jumping out. At a, like, <laughs> you know, can't believe she's on a date and not at this absolutely amazing kick-ass party that he's hosting. You know, yeah. Why would she not be there? But, you know, where's to come? And I think it's the most borderline scene in the film. It's definitely the one, as a kid, I'd be watching it and be like, ooh, this is getting a bit too much. I don't like, I don't think I like Very this intense. anymore. It really mm. ramps it up just to the right level and just when the film needs to. And But like so many of the best scenes in this film, just very simple effects, just good imaginative lighting behind the door. I've always loved that door warping and kind of melting. And, and is it a claw come through? Was it the face of one of the dogs? Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. really clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a it was a rubber door. A rubber door. That's how they got that effect. Well, yeah, I mean, simple but brilliant. And, you know, stick the chair on some runners, cover them up with a carpet and make it move so fast no one can see them. And you've got yeah. an absolutely astonishing set piece. And yeah. I love how Reitman paces, you know, that camera movement, the way he pans around Dana. And it's classic horror, isn't it? You know, seeing it's something. like Halloween. It's yeah. like Halloween. And you're seeing something before the character sees something. Yeah. Just to make you go, oh. And, yeah. you know, Weaver is excellent here. Just the dawning horror on her face of like, shit. And then the claws that burst through the chair. It's like Jaws, isn't it? Because Jaws made people afraid of going in the water somewhere, you know, you would feel safe beforehand. This it makes you feel afraid of sitting in your own chair because they can get you from there. And <laughs> yeah. watching as an adult, I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it, maybe I'm oversensitive, but that claw that bursts up between her legs, there's a nasty connotation to that now, I think, as an adult. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying it was done deliberately to suggest that, mm-hmm. but when I watch it now, that's definitely the moment that puts me on edge the most. Yeah, okay. it's a bit Freddy Krueger in the bath. It is it? a bit. It's it a bit is. like, oh, yeah, don't like is, that yeah. at all. Yeah. came out the same year as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the uh, the production design on those arms mm. are incredible. For the light coming through the door, Reitman said, I've seen Close Encounters. If Spielberg can do lights, then I can do lights. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Good for him. Well, I'm going to talk about the uh, aforementioned party. <laughs> yeah. Lewis Tully, another comedic tour de force, yeah. but this time 
from Rick Moranis. Mm. This guy, this character, this performance in this scene. Yeah. It's incredible. He's got the tablets that he's got on the cheap compared to the name brand, make good sense, good advice. He's given this whole thing as a promotional expense. That's why he's invited clients instead of friends. You having a good time, Mark? (laughs) (laughs) We're not friends. (laughs) Why don't you try the brie? It's at room temperature. Do you think it's too warm for the brie? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just one after the other after the other. No social skills, certainly no dance skills. No. What's he up to? (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) <laughs> Most of Moranis's lines were ad-libbed in this part of yeah, the scene. You can tell. Although Rama said that he helped with some of the dialogue, but it's done in one take. Magnificent movie-making stuff. Mm-hmm. Moranis overall in this film, probably my favourite performance, pound for pound. I know he's not in it too much, and it's such a shame that he didn't find material like this in his career other yeah. than this, because working with this kind of material and this kind of freedom, mm-hmm. he can create something like comedy magic. Yeah. 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 yeah, he brings just as much weight as everyone else. He definitely does yeah. in such a small role. Mm. Yeah. The thing is, though, Lewis was originally written for John Candy, who mm. in the original treatment it was going to be Belushi's sidekick, but apparently Candy didn't really get the concept, and he suggested he would play with a German accent and a couple of German shepherds with him at all times. <laughs> that didn't really fly, and then obviously Belushi passed away. So he did pass on it, but he sent it to his second city pal, Rick Moranis, and he uh-huh. said it was the greatest script he'd ever read. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, considering his career. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's no funny I shrunk the kids, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> he really fleshed out the character, too. He wasn't written as this geeky square. That was all mm. on Moranis, who breathed a whole new life into Lewis Tully, which he definitely does. Another example oh, of does. someone right at the top of his game here. Yeah, oh, yeah, mm. incredible. Hilarious when he runs out screaming from his apartment when he sees the dog. <laughs> yeah. Who brought the dog? Yeah. Just runs out and leaves everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not friends, they're only clients. He's not going to That's true enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the way that continues, where the character continues, and you follow him, and everyone else is just so used to maniacs in New York that they just kind of let him Great. get on with it. And he's running through Central Park. He's being chased. He's just all over the place. And we know what's happening, but everyone else doesn't. I just love, there's this small bit in this where he's just against the glass, turns around. We cut it inside the restaurant and everyone yeah. looks mm. and he has that sh- that scream and then just slides down <laughs> yeah. the window. Yeah. <laughs> and then everything just starts again. Yeah. That is yeah. comedy, comedy gold. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And that's my favorite thing about this whole sequence is just that when I see that, it just reminds me of my dad always laughing at it. Yeah. I love Lewis gibbering outside this place. It's Tavern on the Green in Central Park. Yeah, he's just, and he says, somebody let me in. <laughs> <laughs> After this, Venkman finds out that Gozer has been putting the moves on his would-be girlfriend. And Lewis tears around Manhattan until he gets picked up by the police. Mm. And that's where we're headed, with Lewis being dropped off at Ghostbusters HQ. Yep. Matt, yep. do you want some uh, coffee, Mr. Tully? <laughs> Should I? <laughs> yes, have some. Yeah. Yes, have yes, some. Have some. <laughs> I mean, he at Janine is so done with this shit by now, isn't she? <laughs> Dropping off or picking up. So bored. So bored of this. Just wants a different job. But it's actually a really smart bit of writing because it reinforces how commonplace this kind of activity is now. Mm-hmm. It must be a regular occurrence for 
the police to trust the Ghostbusters this much and for this to be a regular thing, or just tame to the Ghostbusters, they'll sort it out. And you get that lovely visual moment as, as well where they take Lewis inside and he's strapped up to the monitor to get that readout, which is presumably scanning his brain, but it shows the picture of the dog instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so funny. It is. Yeah. It's really funny, but it's just got that little element of being creepy as well. Like, yeah, oh, shit, has, that, yeah. that shouldn't be showing that, surely. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not so a good funny. thing. Yeah. No. <laughs> but again, it, it's just so much great physical comedy here from Moranis. You know, <sighs> all that physical business, he does like wiping his face with a pizza. Hand and ego on anything he can get his hands on. He, he's like the Thank most. You, Vince. Yeah, 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 he's like the most destructive toddler you could ever spend time with. But he's really yeah. lovable with it. It's like if you go to a friend's house, he's got a two-year-old, and the two-year-old just brings you toy after toy after toy, yeah. and a book and something else. And you're like, "Yep, thanks yeah, for that." Slice of pizza. Thanks yeah, for this. Slice of pizza. Yeah. Thanks for that. And when I talked earlier about Ackroyd being able to deliver rapid-fire dialogue, I think Moranis is his equal in this scene. Like, won't even try to replicate this one, but talking about the shoves and the zools getting roasted in the depths of the slaw. What? Yeah. Like, it makes no sense, but it sounds plausible. Mm-hmm. And I think it Moranis does. really sells that. Yeah. It fits in with the mythology of it does, the whole which thing as well, doesn't it? Talk about the writing, yeah. Hilarious when he's drinking the boiling water and just <laughs> smiles over at Egon yeah. and Janine. <laughs> Yeah. Just irresistible little <laughs> details like that, sniffing yeah. the popcorn. Incredible. Yeah. And the headpiece that Lewis is wearing is just a colander with wires on it. The idea being that these guys were hobbyists who used their own resources to come up with whatever was available, you know, creative inventions, just yeah. wires coming out of a colander. But you kind yeah. of buy it. I never really totally. questioned that. Yeah, I didn't know. No, not at it's all. It's chin strap for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's this scene that follows that one, Matt, mm. that I'm just absolutely crazy about. It's where Ray and Winston are driving across Manhattan oh, Bridge. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love the dialogue in this scene. Mm-hmm. They're talking about the Bible, the seas boil, and the skies fell. Yeah. Judgment Day. Judgment Day. Yeah. yeah. Winston says, maybe the reason that we've been so busy lately mm-hmm. is because the dead have mm-hmm. been rising from the grave. Yeah. Just incredible, aided by that kind of like heartbeat in the score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The dialogue and music add a, a real extra level of threat and weight to proceedings. Mm-hmm. But my favourite bit is when it cuts to this incredible helicopter shot at dusk, yeah. wide, yeah. picking up the bridge and the city beautifully, all scored by this amazing funk fest piece <laughs> yeah. of music by Elmer Bernstein. Yeah. yeah, He created this incredible piece of music. It's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. To ride up your street, that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's my favourite moment in the entire film. Yeah, yeah. I love Definitely. it. I just wish that song was much, much longer. Because just to mention here, talking about Winston, played by Ernie Hudson, Ackroyd has said that he wrote the part with Eddie Murphy in mind, which, you know, has has kind of gone down as fact for a lot of people. But Reitman Mm. does refute this. He says Murphy was never a consideration. Right. Yeah, I think it's kind of commonplace to think Mm. that Eddie Murphy was was written for this character. Yeah. But, you know, I suppose we'll never know. No. But either way, Hudson came on board after his work with Reitman on Space Under. You hear that, Westy? I did. Lovely stuff. (laughs) He's great in that film. Everyone's great in that film. It's the best film ever made. (laughs) It's the best film ever made. (laughs) 
Winston was basically the lead when Hudson came on board, mm. but to take advantage of Murray's star power, they started to shift Winston's character over to Venkman. Yeah. yeah. Reitman said Zenimore needed to be a stand-in for the audience, a character who could have things explained to him. Yeah, yeah, he is the audience, and he's yeah. just pure exposition. Yeah. He is, yes, exactly. A yeah. bit of a pisser for Hudson, who yeah. kind of felt marginalised as a result. Bit of a shame. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Westy. Yes. What about you in this sequence? It's when the company heads and Peck turns up, and he wants to shut <laughs> it down. And it's Venkman again here. He's backwards and forwards, but he's actually starting to take it really seriously. And you think mm-hmm. if Venkman's taking this seriously, you've got to take it seriously. No, don't shut it down. Yeah. And he's just yeah. like, you do I'm that again, you. you can shoot him. He's like, <laughs> you do your job and tells yeah. him to do my job. And you think it's getting really sketchy here. Someone's going to yeah. get shot. Yeah. Is this Ghostbusters or what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just the way that's done. But Atherton plays this so well. Mm. He is oh, such a dick. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the way that it's all just kind of put together and you know if that grid shuts down it's going to be pandemonium and the explosion is fantastic Venkman's oh, running away when he's running yeah. away and he's just <laughs> he's first one out <laughs> bad for Tully right at the end when them sparks are flying out you think fucking hell that's really dangerous but I know that Atherton like he got in touch with Reitman and said that his life was hell because he was genuine. Reitman said he was genuinely pissed because people were screaming and making fun of him wherever he went. He was forever being called dickless. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, I don't understand because then he comes back and plays pretty much exactly the same character in Die Hard. Yeah. Exactly the same yeah. guy. <laughs> so if his life, he's probably just thinking, oh, well, fuck it, I've done it now. Yeah. I'll be the same yeah. guy in Die Hard 1 and 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he was so hated, this character, Peck. Like people would talk to Atherton as if they were having a, an actual go at Peck instead. And on more than one occasion, he got an actual fist fight at bars over it. Wow. I mean, that just goes to show how well that character was played and how much people love the Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. 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 Really taking them to their hearts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shut this off. Shut these all off. Yeah. It's Moranis here. No dialogue. All in his physical performance, oh. sniffing the Con Ed guy yeah. and just smiling as the building explodes. Yeah. <laughs> And, and mimicking the pointing that he's yeah. doing at Peck, just there. Yeah, but like yeah. two seconds behind, like. Yeah, really just totally in a daze. Yeah. yeah, really funny. So New York City is crumbling. Definitely something that Lewis needs to bring up at the next tenants meeting. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> the crew. A uniquely talented crew on Ghostbusters, as already established. We're starting off here by talking about the screenplay by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Hmm. Westy, what do you think of the writing? I think the writing's pretty fantastic. But again, how much of this is ad-libbed, how much of this is actually on the page. I think it's a ridiculous premise, but so very well (laughs) realised. I think some of the dialogue's incredible and so very well done. But the thing that strikes me about the writing is how each of their actors personal traits are highlighted and used hmm. i mean you've got venkman who's aloof and he's cocky as bill murray is yeah, yeah. it stance he's fast talking he's giddy so that plays off for Ackroyd. Uh-huh. spengler he's got that nerdy kind of vibe but ramus can really get that over very technical very technical yeah. actor when you watch him he's mm-hmm. really really good and not a yeah. foot wrong and you can tell he's always going to hit his mark and he's always going to get his dialogue absolutely well spoken yeah. and then winston again we've, we've we've touched on it but i do think he got a bit of a shitty end of the stick you know what yeah, he definitely he comes in and he's kind of filling the gaps with all the exposition but i think yeah that's the thing that stands out to me it's how personable this writing is and i think Aykroyd mm-hmm. and ramus mm-hmm. know exactly who they're writing for and how to write for them yeah. from Aykroyd's point of view i mean it's basically it's i mean semi-autobiographical isn't it <laughs> or less yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah 
what I'm always struck by is just how serious the film is. And I know that's a very strange thing to say because it's a comedy. Mm. And I think a lot of that is aided by, as we said, the talent in production and the writing goes hand in hand with that. It's re- a really serious piece of work. Aside mm. from maybe Moranis's performance, it's not obviously a comedy. Take down the sound and you could be forgiven for thinking you're watching a horror film. Yeah, the yeah, scene with I've, Dana I've in her apartment yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and with Lewis at Tavern on the Green. Terrifying in isolation with mm. no sound. There's not much in the way of physical comedy, no pratfalls or gross-out gags. So the writing and the delivery of the lines has got to be incredibly strong for it to work. And, I mean, it hits the mark every step of the way. And what I think is very strange, see what you think about this, is that these characters are really memorable. Like Dana, Venkman, Egon, Stans, Lewis, they occupy such a strong place in movie history for me Mm -hmm. and I think all of us. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing in the way of development or character arcs for anybody in the film. They're all pretty much end how they start. Yeah. Unless I'm missing something. Maybe with the exception of Venkman. Yeah. He's still disinterested in ghosts, but he kind of just believes a bit more now. Yeah. And I mean, that's usually a sin in writing a film with characters. Nobody learns a damn thing. No, (laughs) not at all. I'm not missing anything here. I'm not alone in this, am I? No, no, now that you bring it up. Yeah, now you mentioned it. It is very linear, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It is really linear, considering these characters are so indelible in my mind as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's more vertical than it is horizontal, isn't it? (laughs) Nobody goes from A to B. They just basically exist in that vertical plane. Yeah, definitely. It's incredible stuff. Matt, what do you think of the writing? I think what's interesting to me is that it is this collaboration between Ramos and Aykroyd, and it's interesting trying to work out who brought what here. Mm. I suspect Ramos was probably the more straightforward of the two, just the one who would sit down and would think about plot and would think about structure and yeah. building things from one to the other. But, you know, he also knows how to write comedy. You know, his career tells you that. And I cried, he, he doesn't have that big a career as a writer, as Ramos said, but I think what he is, he's the ideas man. He has big concepts that he wants to stuff into this, and I think a lot Absolutely. of them did get filleted out because they were never going to work. They were going to be far too expensive to do what he wants. But what's left over from him, I think, is the mythology that this film was built on. And all the mythological stuff in here is great. It sounds believable and it sounds real. And it it sounds grounded. So all the scientific jargon, all the historical stuff that they come out with, which they did make up, like the Philadelphia mass turbulence of 1947, all sounds plausible. Mm -hmm. And so when they start dripping in all the more fantastical elements, all these names, Goza, Ivor Shandor, Tobin's... Beard guide, the key master, yeah. the gatekeeper. I buy into all of that. Of course. Right? I buy into Ray pouring over these historical blueprints and working out what the top of the building is made of. And mm-hmm. I think it blends in two elements of reality that really help to bind it all together. It, the first one is, you know, the scene you've talked about, Luke, the judgment day, bringing in something oh, that we, we yeah. know exists. We know the yeah. Bible, we know mm-hmm. biblical verse. It fits in so well. And the second thing is, you know, I'm you know, Reitman did have some input into the script as well. And I think what he brings is how to integrate the mythology in everyday life. Because if you go to any city, like particularly a city with a lot of history, and you look around, you'll see, you know, shops on the main street or whatever. But then if you look like above, it's amazing how many old buildings are still yeah. around. And yeah, well, like one thing's built in them, but all those remnants from years and years and years and years ago, centuries ago, are still here. And you can go into somewhere like Newcastle, near where we live, and look around. You can see buildings will have little, like, sculptures or carvings right at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and really taps into that, and he, he integrates it visually, but in a subliminal way. I think it just boosts the mythology in here as well. Everything feels plausible. Yeah. Very so, much. Yeah, using the lion statue right at the top of the film yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and all the gargoyles in all the mm-hmm. the buildings in New York as well. I mean, yeah. they just fit in with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Do. Great scouting locations, incredible for that yeah. kind of stuff. I mean, it's not as if they have to go a million miles away. New yep. York, pretty much everybody knows it, but it's still, it's the finer details. Yeah. yeah. Ghostbusters, like you were saying, Matt, was Dan Aykroyd's baby from the start. It was his original idea about something that was very close to his heart. He was brought up in an environment where ghosts and ghouls were part of his family. His great-grandfather was a spiritual researcher, and his dad wrote a book called A History of Ghosts. You can still buy that today. It's on Amazon. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. So he combined his family love for the occult based on kind of genuine scientific research mm. with his love for the comedies of the 30s like Abbott and Costello and the Bowery Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. When Venkman calls Stan's the beaten heart of the Ghostbusters, he's not kidding. No, no. Yeah, so we've mentioned it a few times, but Aykroyd did have some crazy ideas in the original version, which never made it in. So initially, it was set in the future, and the Ghostbusters operated out of a a gas station in New Jersey, and they were facing ghostly threats like a skeletal biker. And then Ivo Shandar himself was in the film, and Mm. he was shrouded in a, a mosquito net. And he was doing things like he was collecting the heads of bats, rats, and lobsters. And it also had a large section set in space. <laughs> but Aykroyd has said that right and misinterpreted that. And Aykroyd said it never went to outer space. That's Ivan's misinterpretation. It went to inner space. Right. Of course it did. <laughs> yeah. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. Wasn't there meant to be like gangs of Ghostbusters as well? It wasn't just the one Yeah, set. different factions yeah. of yeah. Ghostbusters. That yeah. sounds cool, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's $300 million all out. Yeah, of course. Yeah. How many factions? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's 1984, Dan. Yeah, Can't yeah. do that. <laughs> <laughs> it went through various title changes, including Ghost Smashers, Ghost Breakers, Ghost Stoppers. Hmm. There was a short-lived sitcom from 1975 called The Ghostbusters, so Columbia had to pay a hefty fee for the license and, right. of the name Ghostbusters. Right, okay. Aykroyd was in a bit of a funk after Belushi died, and the idea hmm. stalled for a while until he sent it to Ivan Reitman, saying... Do you think this is something you'd like to direct with me and Bill Murray? Mm. When Reitman got a hold of it, he suggested bringing Harold Ramos on board to help with the writing, having worked on Animal House, Meatballs and Stripes for them. Aykroyd obliged. And after the first reading of the script, Ramos was on board. He was open to the spectral elements of the script because he'd spent a year, listen to this, he'd spent a year living on a Greek island, which was rumoured to be inhabited by vampires. (laughs) 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 Fuck off, Harold. (laughs) supposed to be the serious one yeah but you can see him as egon delivering that line it yeah. was inhabited by vampires yeah you know, the, deadly serious yeah deadly serious that would have worked <laughs> if you hadn't stopped me yeah <laughs> and then after they got the go-ahead from frank price they went to martha's vineyard for three weeks to write the screenplay and hmm. basically they hold up in that basement which he'd camouflage and named dan's bunker and Wrightman <laughs> said it was the best time of his professional career Nice. Oh, yeah. lovely. It does sound good fun, like, doesn't it? Yeah, of course, with them yeah. guys. Yeah. That would be great. Dan's country bunker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, the script was being worked on each day on set as well. We've mentioned a couple of moments that were thought up on the spot, and that's emblematic of the whole process, really. Yeah. Because there was, you know, a hotbed of creative talent on board. Mm. Sigourney Weaver said, I never really lost my complete awe of these guys. Ivan was able to create consistently a situation where these guys could all really bring their best game mm-hmm. and they were also generous with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a powerful film to be a part of in that way. Wonderful words. Ramos had got so close to the character through his writing, he felt best to play the role. Before this, right. considered for the part were Christopher Walken, my man John Lithgow, I would have him in the cast, mm-hmm. Christopher <laughs> Lloyd, Michael Keaton yeah. and Jeff Goldblum. Oh, Chris Walken? 
Like you see that? Nah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, that's too off the wall. Yeah. From a performance point of view, Ramos made a conscious decision not to smile. Yeah. It was the perfect counter right. to Venkman's wisecracks, and that's uh, perfect. Yeah, it that's is. really yeah. clever. And in the script, he was described as a new wave Mr. Spock. Amazing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so Aykroyd and Ramos are a writing match made in heaven. Mm, definitely. Next up is the music in Ghostbusters. We've got that unforgettable score from Elmer Bernstein and the pop music, including Ray Parker Jr.'s monster size hit. Matt, mm-hmm. what do you think of the music, both score and soundtrack in the film? I don't care how eclectic your musical tastes are. I don't care if you're really deeply into classical music or free jazz. If the theme tune doesn't slap a big smile across your face <laughs> every time you hear it, you're just a liar. Sorry. You're just uh, <laughs> and like, it, It's best to listen to it though when you're alone or in the car, or whatever, because who doesn't want to do the Buster makes me feel good at yeah. full volume <laughs> Very every nice. time? You can't, you can't half-arse that bit. No. You've got to go full into that. Yeah. So incredible theme tune, but I really like the rest of the soundtrack as well. Like one of the big strengths of the film is it's never afraid to play the horror elements completely straight. And the mm-hmm. soundtrack's a big part of that. So when you get the opening in the library or the shot of the statue of the terror dog starting to break apart during the storm, the music is deadly serious. Yeah, oh, it, it really amps up. And I wouldn't put it up there with classics like The Omen or The Exorcist, but it elevates everything. So yeah, overall, I think it's really, really good. It does, yeah. It's not in line with the comedy in the writing. No, no. It's a serious soundtrack. Yeah, I think Bernstein's just covering all bases here, isn't he? He's just, mm. and that's just the score. And you have other yeah. songs in there by, I mean, Mike Smiley had that song Magic in there and he was oh, worried yeah, yeah. about how it was going to fit. But it's like, it's almost written for the film. It's perfect. That it is, yeah. It's really, really good. And I love Saving the Day. Mm-hmm. That's a really good tune. And like Matt said, this the original like theme tune. Come on. Where, who, yeah. How do you come up with that? Yeah, yeah. Just, just singing Ghostbusters, just shouting it. <laughs> yeah. you, you think that should not work at all? Yeah. And after that sequence that you've seen at the start of the film, mm. and then to put that in there, it's nothing short of absolute genius. But yeah, yeah, I love the soundtrack. I love what Bernstein brings to it. There's a, a real depth, a real maturity. But at the same time, it's really playful. And there's the, like the little do-do-do-do-do bits that kind of come in and out. So it's just, it's putting you in certain elements and putting you through certain emotions that the film makes exactly wants to. So it's got you under control from every element of it and especially in the music. I mean, I'm just in love with the score. It's so unique. Bernstein just bringing all his tools to the table yeah. to give the film a real identity. Yeah. Aided by the 72-strong Hollywood studio symphony and his almost permanent use of the on-desk smart knot. It's like a keyboard version of the theremin. It creates that kind of eerie, quivering, ghostly yeah, yeah. sound. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I love the Incredible. Yeah. He also somehow manages to make the funny, like you were saying, Westy, funny and playful and romantic and eerie and terrifying, yeah. all at the drop of a hat. Yeah. And I also think it's one of the best ever combinations of score and soundtrack, kind of like Back to the Future. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The pop songs work really well. The ones that you mentioned, yes, Cleaning Up the Town by the Bus Boys yes. is yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can't deny Ray Parker Jr.'s contribution to the soundtrack with the Ghostbusters song. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a total novelty song. Yeah. And, you know, the other ones are a bit serious, but that thing that maybe is just because it's just been overplayed. Yeah. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Lindsay Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac fame was approached oh, yes. to write the theme song after the successful 
absolute banger holiday road for National Lampoon's Vacation in 1983. Yeah. What a tune that is. It's incredible. He declined, though, because he didn't want to get into the rut of being asked to write movie themes. Why not? <laughs> I know. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Serious Easy artist. money. And also, Hughes and Thrall submitted a song which got rejected, but they revamped it, and it's used in Dragnet, actually. Um, All right. It's called Dance or Die. It's on promos for the film as well that Aykroyd and Murray did. They used that before they got Ray Parker Jr.'s song in place. Okay, Okay. cool. Right. I know that bit now then. And uh, yeah, also Huey Lewis and the News, they also turned down an offer to write the theme tune. Yeah, well, Huey later sued Ray Parker Jr. for plagiarism, citing similarities between his theme song and their earlier hit, I Want a New Drug. It's very similar. It's the bass line. Oh, is it right? Okay. How about we play the two songs back to back for our audience? See what you think. Yeah. So, what do you think? Did Parker Jr. rip Huey off? Possibly. I mean, it's very similar. It's very similar. <laughs> you can see where he's coming from. I mean, I would be yeah. annoyed. <laughs> In the end, the matter was settled out of court. Fair enough. Yeah, okay, fair I mean, enough. the song became a monster hit. It won a BAFTA for Best Song, was Oscar nominated, was number one on the Billboard 100 for three weeks as well. Mm. Yeah. And just it adds to it as well, both the score and soundtrack, the awe, huge amount of the success of the film. Definitely. One of the most effects-laden films at that point in movie history, Ghostbusters really pushed the envelope of what could be achieved through special effects. Mm-hmm. The man responsible was one Richard Edland and his production house, Boss Film Studios. Mm. Westy, what do you think of the effects? I love the effects, and I love the fact that they don't really hold up as much as you get later <laughs> into the film, and yeah. I hate to say that, but yeah. there is elements where you can see, you know, my paintings moving... <laughs> And it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of it I think was done after the fact. I know they did some screenings where people hadn't actually seen Stay Puft, people hadn't actually mm-hmm. seen Inside the Fridge, it just said Scene Missing. Yeah. You know, so like there was a lot of stuff that was done, and I think it was done in haste. But for the time it came out, I mean, it always blew me away. But I mm-hmm. think it's just, it's the location work on this as well, and how the effects tie into the location work. Yeah. yeah, it all just works really, really well hand in hand, and it is done with a with a really steady hand, and it is a careful hand, and I think it does really add to it all. But it also adds to the playful nature of it that it's not exactly yeah. perfect. Yeah. That you do see things, and you kind of like, yeah, okay, I think, yeah, then books coming past and possibly see a wire, or you know, for a fact that somebody's blown a copper pipe and they're coming out. But mm-hmm. I just think the practical effects, as well as everything else that was done, really does tie into the the playful nature of the whole thing. I really love the montage when all hell breaks loose yeah. after Peck shuts it off. Yeah. yeah. Of course, by the day standard, some of the effects, like you said, Westy, they don't hold up, but I think that is part of its charm. It is, yeah. And they were of its time, really groundbreaking. I think there's two main effects that are, are really, really memorable, and that's Slimer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Based on John Belushi, like you said, and the animation of Tex Avery. Yeah. Slimer's facial expressions were controlled by a number of puppeteers while another guy wore it over his head for movement. Yeah. <laughs> and they used oversized props like magnums of champagne and huge martini glasses. Yeah, so when right. it was composited into the scene, it created the illusion of a smaller scale for Slimer. Oh, okay. Right, nice. And then you've got the piece de resistance, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah. 
when a member of the effects team was in the Stay Puft suit that shot and walked at 72 frames per second, which made his human perform motions look like he was moving in slow motion when they played it back at normal speed. Yeah. And then composited that into the film. Yeah. Obviously, they use scale models of buildings for a lot of the shots. Yeah. Obviously, that's not real Manhattan, can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's some outstanding behind-the-scenes pictures of the models and Mr. Staypuff walking down the street as well. Yeah. When you look at the scale of it compared to the the operators, mm. he's not as big as a human person, no. but he looks like 60 yeah. feet tall. It's, it's a low camera angle as well, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Matt, what do you think of the effects? They're just all so memorable. You know, the look mm. of the ghosts in, in the design is amazing. It's a perfect blend of great makeup and then visual effects laid on top. You know, the proton beams, yeah, they look a bit cartoonish, but they're so vibrant, and that's what I get oh, from the are. effects. The, mm-hmm. the colour scheme is really, really bold. I love how green Slimer is. I love how yeah. orange the beams are, and everything mm-hmm. works. It does draw a little bit when you go between the model Terror Dog and then the animated version one where it's got to be yeah. running and jumping around. That's a bit, ooh. Yeah. Wish, yeah. wish it was 10 years later they could they could have Hello. nailed that. Yeah. But it still works well enough. Yeah, I'm just saying they're all really, really striking. And also, at the time of production, the majority of the best FX facilities were just overladen with work because this was the time of Return of the Jedi, Tamla Doom, Star Trek The Search for Spock, these were all in production mm. at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, FX facilities were pretty thin on the ground. And yeah. so Reitman had contacted Edland, who worked for ILM at the time. And actually, when he contacted me, he was in hospital because he'd thrown his back out. And he just happened to be looking for a chance anyway to move away from ILM. So he said it was own effects company. Right. And the only way he could do that is by generating some funds for a new effects company, like you said. So fortunately for him, he managed to get funding from both Columbia and for Ghostbusters and MGM as they needed effects for 2010 and opened up mm. Boss Film Studios. Overall, $5.6 mm. That's one-sixth of the budget for Ghostbusters was spent on set and special effects. $5.6 Wow. Million. Yeah. Mm. Huge. Yeah. Yeah, Edlin said we basically had one shot at compositing each of these shots. About mm. 80% of the shots were take ones. Wow. So we just didn't have more time to do any more. The same with the animation. The animation with the turret dog is a little on the funky side. <laughs> But yeah. the thing works, it works with the movie because mm. the movie has that kind of quality and it does. Yeah. And you've got very simple effects like like you mentioned at the top Westie blown through copper tube and that kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. At Dana's apartment, the egg effect was achieved by scoring the eggshells and pumping air into them from underneath the counter. Oh, okay. And yeah. there were hidden propane burners underneath that allowed them to cook on the counter. Yeah. And that looks excellent. It does look brilliant. Yeah, it does look really good. So an outrageous effort from everyone on the crew. We're not talking about them at length, but I think another shout-out wouldn't go amiss for DP, Laszlo Kovacs, and production designer John DeCure as well. Definitely not. Yep. The end. The third act in Ghostbusters brings some real Wrath of God type stuff. (laughs) Yes, it does. Westy, you're (laughs) going to take it away. I'll take it away from when they're in that jail. That scene, that whole scene to me is just lovely. Because everyone's together and everyone's playing the role perfectly. And a couple of things stand out for me when I rewatch this. Like when Ray slaps Venkman, like he really slaps him in the face. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> yeah. And you can tell Murray's kind of taken aback and he has to deliver that line about, you know, him, him not studying. But he's yeah. pissed off like and Aykroyd's <laughs> just loving it. And he's like, I can really get a slap him in the face. And then that comes back later on on the rooftop. And he slaps Ray and he said, I love this plan. Oh, I'm happy to be part of it. Yeah. So he yeah, kind of yeah, slaps good. him back. But that really stood out for me. I thought, wow, he's really going for it there. He's really going for it. But it's just great how 
Winston is just this is him as exposition. He's just reading exactly yeah. what we want, and he's yeah. just like, "What? What on earth is going on?" Venkman's exactly the same. Actually, he's part of the audience mm. now in the ramp and yeah, that up. He is. It's great how this is blocked. It's great how it's shot, and how everyone when Egon just starts getting more and more interested, and he's talking about the end of the world, and mm. they've just looks around, and everyone starts crowded around these blueprints. Yeah, <laughs> all the yeah. people in the cell, and it's like it's just so good. It's just so well played out. It's just got such a lovely kind of warm feel to it, even though we're supposed to be in a little bit of peril here, but it doesn't yeah. feel like it at all. They never feel threatened in that jail cell. They never they feel like it's just everyone's part of it, which mm. I really like because that could have been quite a, a dark sequence, but mm. it, it actually really works, and I just love the playful nature of that. So, yeah, I'll watch that every time. And the Venkman's delivery of, whoa, somebody's <laughs> coming. coming. <laughs> somebody's, somebody's coming. coming. <laughs> like, yeah, it's absolutely it's fucking brilliant. I love it. Love it. This was filmed in an actual jail in Manhattan. Ackroyd claimed that the place was haunted. Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> because the film got the film negative got scratches and there was no explanation for it whatsoever when they, when they watched the rushes back. So right. that's that's Ackroyd's ex- it's haunted. That's it must be. <laughs> it's haunted. Yeah, no explanation. Yeah. Like somebody did it, maybe. Yeah, yeah. possibly. Probably Murray up to his old tricks again. <laughs> like the start of seven. <laughs> I just don't know how Ray was allowed to get these blueprints into the jail. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> Reginald Vell Johnson claimed that he was almost cast as Winston. Mm. When Ernie Hudson was cast, Reitman offered him the role of jail guard instead. Basically, he's doing Al Powell he from is. Die Hard. It's Al he Powell. Yeah. Al Powell from Die Hard. Yeah. Richard Thornburg from Die Hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to prequel the, blue, the blueprints for Die Hard, I think, on the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what about you in this sequence? When they go to meet the mayor, that scene has got <laughs> such yes. a great vibe to it because all of a sudden we're watching a proper series drama about the ramifications of what's going on here, and it feels real in a way that the other scenes don't quite. It's all like the closest scene. It's not quite the same, but it's the closest one I can come up with. It's like the hospital scenes in The Exorcist. When Reagan's undergoing all the tests, it's like, holy shit, it's this juxtaposition of the supernatural right. with the proper right. grown-up adult stuff that's going on, you know, and meeting right. with the mayor. And I think it works because it takes it deadly seriously. Like, when that official says, the walls in the 53rd precinct were bleeding, it's like, Jesus Christ. explain that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What an image <laughs> yeah. that is. That line, though, it's not played for joke at all. And even the fact that they have to, I mean, they call him his eminence, so I guess he's a cardinal, I think. Yeah, yeah, that always in. confuses me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like is he bishop? Yeah. Is he cardinal? Whatever yeah. he is, he's I think it's quite... a message from God. <laughs> yeah, but don't quote me on that. Letter. Yeah, <laughs> how you doing, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> We're in a real fix. Yeah. <laughs> but it's serious enough to get him involved. So it there, is. Yeah, there's this real tension to it. The sense that the situation's got so out of hand, and no one who normally takes charge knows what to do. So mm-hmm. I love how it just grounds everything from here on in, and it also has this really like cynical streak which I like to like the mayor has no clue which way he's going to go with this. Who's he going to trust until yeah. Vegman points out if they're right and they can't stop this thing. Lenny, you will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters. <laughs> and he gets a nod from the card. And he gets yeah. a nod. From, and that's what swings it. The mayor looking out for his own neck come election time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously can't mention this scene without talking about got to be the funniest line in the film. Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Yeah, Just great. What a setup for that line. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fix you, Venkman. <laughs> I'm going to get you a nice fruit basket. I'm going to miss gonna him. Miss him. <laughs> <laughs> it's that delivery. The walls in the 53rd precinct yeah. 
were bleeding. Yeah. Great. I love that, like, fire and brimstone coming down from the sky, rivers and seas boiling. It's just really, really great dialogue. Yeah, yeah it's amazing, yeah. yeah. There's this great dolly shot after the mayor's scene where the army and the National Guard are all mobilizing. Mm. Yeah. To get the National Guard fired up, Ivan Reitman rounded them all up and told them that they were a bunch of pussies. <laughs> <laughs> Brave move. Brave move. <laughs> Classic Reitman. <laughs> and that wide shot of the police escort coming up Central Park West yeah. is incredible. Mm. Venkman addressing the door and crowd, hello, New York. And this mini earthquake effect was actually filmed in LA after production moved from New York. You can't tell, and I think the continuity is great. Even oh, yeah. the building was about eight stories high. The additional scale was achieved using a matte paint. Right, right, nice. Can't see the line, can you, West? Nope. <laughs> no deadlines <laughs> this morning. <laughs> <laughs> after the end of the building, the Ghostbusters make their way slowly up to the roof of Spook Central, mm. will get a little more than they bargained for. Mm-hmm. Just a little. And I'm starting off with the meeting with Goza. Nimble little minx, ain't she? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Ray is elected spokesperson, but his dialogue, the dialogue that you outlined for us earlier, Matt, beautifully, yes. yeah. oh, is ridiculously you. formal. Yes, it is. Yeah. Goes to the Gozarian. Good evening. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> but I suppose, how do you speak to someone from a different dimension? Yeah, He's yeah. got no idea. Well, if anyone did, Ackroyd would know. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. This is Ray's big opportunity to speak to a ghost, something he's almost certainly waited his whole life yeah, to yeah. do. Yeah. Not just a ghost either. Yeah, yeah. Goes to the Gozarian. Yeah, yeah. I think the production design on the roof is great. I don't think the effects are great. No, no. <laughs> They're pretty, probably the worst in the film. Yeah, I would have, th- I would have said so. Yeah, but I do. After the "Are you a god?" No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you say yes. <laughs> <laughs> but after that bit, this chick is toast, and that music yeah, that blows yeah, yeah. up. Yeah, I'm brilliant. Yeah, yeah. When they walk up and they just take all the sticks out together, yeah. and it's like powering yeah. up together. It's like, yeah, it's a real hero moment. Brilliant. It's great. Goza was originally going to be played by Paul Rubens of Pee Wee Herman fame, R.I.P. Yep, and obviously. he yep. turned down the role, which is quite surprising. That would have been weird, do you not think? I think that's have. weird. Yeah. yeah. My bike! <laughs> He's already a TV star, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also in the original script, I know Goza took the form of Ivo Shandor, who is, you know, he's referenced, he's the ghost building's architect who started the original Mm -hmm. Gorsa cult. And he was described as resembling a pale, slender, unremarkable man in a business suit. But then his final form is described as David Bowie meets Grace Jones. Fantastic. That sounds amazing. Well, Jones was considered for the role. Could see that. All right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Aim for the flat top. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It ultimately went to Slavica Jovan, a model and actress from then Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. She wore contact lenses painted red, so basically she couldn't see a thing for the scene. Oh, really? Wow. But she is great. I'm mm-hmm. glad it wasn't unknown because I think it taps into being like a being from another dimension. Yeah, it totally I think does. If it was Grace Jones, it would have been harder to believe for yeah. me yeah. because she's identifiable. Yeah, it probably yeah. been a little bit of a bigger role as well. She would have been on, mm-hmm. on screen yeah, yeah, a little bit more. Be. Yeah. yeah. Now, before we get to you, Matt, we've got our third and final Patreon question. Okay. And this one is from Biggie. Hello, Biggie. Biggie says, probably an obvious question, but what would you guys each accidentally choose as your destructor? Mm. Whether it's obvious or not, it's a bloody good question, Biggie. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Matt. Here you are, well. for. <laughs> no messing, no hesitation. No. <laughs> I hadn't even finished. No. <laughs> 
No mess in any context? Just when I look the question, I thought, all right, clean my head. What's the first thing that pops in? Haley Atwell was the first thing that popped in. Fantastic. You know, obviously. En- enjoy Dead Reckoning a lot last month. Probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Sure thing. Nice. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah. Agreed. Westy? Uh, Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon even if Elmo's, Why? I reckon if he, even if he's that big, I can still have him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a curveball. Well, he? there you go. It's, it's, it's just probably one of the you know least violent things I can think of. The character of Elmo, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it's probably going to be Bruce Springsteen for me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that big. He's wow. that big anyway. Yeah. I wouldn't want to, but I'm generally always thinking about the boss. <laughs> but it would be the great irony of my life, my favourite place in the world being destroyed by my hero. Mm. My my world would implode. Total protonic <laughs> reversal. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd want it to end, that's how you want to watch it end. Yeah. <laughs> great question, Biggie. Thank yeah. you. Nice you liked all those answers. A bit of variety there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Matt, what about you in this thing? Well, I need to ask a question, right? How old were you all when you first realised Mr. Staypuff was not a real brand? Um, 38. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say it was a long yeah. time for me. I, w- I learned the last time we did this on the podcast right. so four well, years ago. <laughs> right. I've just learned that now. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Staypuff and his rival, it's so bizarre and it shouldn't mm. work. And somehow it does. And I can't explain how it works it, as effectively as it does. I think the setup is brilliant, though, because... You literally can't clear your head of anything. If someone tells you don't think of anything, you're going to think of something. Of course. Yeah. And that setup is so good. Well, who did think of something and what did they think of? J. Edgar Hoover isn't actually going to turn up, though, is he? Like, because you generally think for a minute, <laughs> this film has been so bizarre, that could happen. But I love yeah. the sound design, you know, those huge, like, crunching footsteps before you see something, the music. Look! So, yeah, when Egon yells out, you're like, God, is it going to be like King Kong? Is it going to be Godzilla? Yeah. That's what you're expecting. But it is the most innocent thing in the world. Like, I love the little glimpses of his happy little face just passing by the building. happy as Larry. He loves it all. It's that that jaunty little angle. How how (laughs) could this possibly harm anyone? But that shot you get of Mr. Stay Puffed when it's that full glimpse of him at the back of the shot with all those cars crashing in the foreground. I think that's my favourite effect shot in this film it's so it's good yeah it's, fantastic. it's blended together so brilliantly he's just so happy to be there who can't love this guy you know he just got yeah. this big smile on his face causing chaos so for something that i think gets maybe two minutes of screen time in total so yeah. iconic so no, memorable so memorable yeah. oh it really is when yeah. he first gets hit as well when they yeah. unload on him and he's yeah. his face changes yeah. and he's yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> there are some nice signs of marshmallow man dotted throughout the film Dana's has got someone on a counter when the eggs are cooking. Yep. And there's an ad for them on the high-rise building when the spirits break out. Yeah, the it's on the left-hand oh, okay, side yeah, of the yeah, frame, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, really good. Mr. Staypuff was originally going to emerge from the Hudson River next to the Statue of Liberty. So mm-hmm. to give an idea of his size, it proved too difficult. And I thought about this, and it's like it only proved difficult because the marshmallow would melt in the water. And then I realized it's not a real thing. <laughs> 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 but it's a similar idea what was recycled for Ghostbusters 2 where is the actual Statue of Liberty yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. similar thing yeah and I know he was designed by an old college friend of Ackroyd a guy called John DeVicus in Ackroyd set room give me a brand symbol something that looks kind of like the Michelin Man and the Pillsbury Doughboy mix them up and then he said and he comes up with a sailor which is brilliant 
Yeah. He is. Got yeah. such an identity, hasn't does, he? Yeah. He has in two minutes. It's like, what's that need guy to get him <laughs> Yeah, just need to get him laid. Yeah. <laughs> We've got them all wrong. Yeah. Westy, what about you in this scene? I love when they finally decide that they have to cross the streams because we all go, Cross the streams. Cross the streams. <laughs> it's just like, it's Excuse like me, this mantra. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you said this was bad. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just thinking, well, is it bad? And I just love how heartfelt this moment is when they're mm. kind of saying goodbye to each other. Yeah. And like, it's been mm. a, a privilege to work with your daughter, man. And he's like, see you on the other side, Ray. And then the power mm. of them up. I just love that moment. It's the, all of them coming together. And it's, you know, it's really metaphorical. If you all join forces and you all work together, you're going to achieve something. And the more mm, you stay yeah. as an individual, the more you're not going to be strong enough. So, and that's what I learned from Ghostbusters when I was like six years old. I was like, you yeah. see everybody coming together and it really does work. But I know that they just decided to do that on the day. They didn't really have an ending or how to take care of Mr. Staypuff. They thought, well, hmm. let's just do across hmm. the streams then. And yeah. let's put them yeah. all together, shoot it into there, boom, it works. And it doesn't feel like a cop-out at all. I think it's just because it's the way it's played out and mm. the music as well. And they're just the triumphant nature of it all, I think, really, really yeah. works. And they all work yeah. together. So, yeah, it works for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I go back to the original, our original episode on Ghostbusters. John made this point about crossing the streams will be bad. Now, all of a sudden, it's going to save their asses. Yeah. Mm. How does Egon know this? I mean, I've got no doubt that he's done a lot of research into this matter, mm. but it's just not explained. Yeah. It's very, very bad. Now it's very good. Yeah, but yeah. he's reversing the polarity though, isn't he? So he's pushing it away instead of pulling it in. You've turned into Egon yourself <laughs> there, Westy. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're instead yeah. of a reverse the polarity and then we'll put it through the gate. It's basically pushing things out where they're trying to, when the cross the streams were slime, they're trying to pull him in. So the streams mm. will come towards the proton pack, towards the guns and implode. So if you're pushing the streams out and you create one powerful stream that they all do, that's how they do it. Well, what he said. <laughs> you need that line in the film, though, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you do. Know, that's what they've overlooked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is the made-up-on-the-day element of it. Yeah. yeah. Every night out, don't, don't cross the streams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suppose it's a quite a shoddy kind mm. of approach to the material, but in line with the chaotic nature of the writing as well yeah. and the shooting of the film. Yeah. Big garbage bags full of shaving cream were used for the marshmallow. So Bill Atherton asked Reitman if it would hurt because he thought back to eighth grade where he learned that 50 pounds of feathers and 50 pounds of lead are the same. I read that twice earlier on just to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> the stuntman tried it out first and it knocked them out, sparked them straight out. So Reitman decided to reduce it to 25 pounds for Atherton instead of 50 because that would have been a lot. I mean, it still looks like a lot. It does. Like it does. And that's I mean, it gets cleaned does. out. Yeah, cleaned yeah. Out. Didn't That's have to great. be at either. That could have been anyone to shoot from the yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was intentional that Venkman doesn't have any marshmallow on him at the end. Uh -huh. mm. Reitman thought it was ironic that Venkman wasn't covered and the rest are smothered in it. And they <laughs> yeah. are smothered in it. Yeah. Considering Venkman's a pretty much a, a non-believer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Lewis at the end, who does your taxes? <laughs> yeah. What a line. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> That's incredible stuff. Yeah. So with an adoring crowd cheering their victory, the Ghostbusters have saved the day, but mm -hmm. the superintendent's going to be pissed. <laughs> Reception and awards. Prior to the release of Ghostbusters, Reitman didn't really know how the film was going to go down with test audiences, but he knew he had something special when, during the opening scenes, audiences were ooing and ahhing at the ectoplasmic residue mm. and laughing and screaming in equal measure at the get-her moment. Yeah. 
despite 90% of the special effects missing from the screen and the first sight of Mr. Staypuff brought audience scores of 90%. They loved it. Oh, lovely. It opened on the same day as Gremlins. I mean, why can't we get a day like that these days? (laughs) What a day that would be. Yeah. Yeah. And two weeks after Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom as well. Incredibly strong competition. Yeah. But it turned into a mammoth hit. On a final budget of $30 million, it returned a gargantuan $229 million on initial release, making it the highest grossing comedy of all time. Amazing. Beverly Hills Cop came out the same year and surpassed it, but with the re-release in 1985, Ghostbusters overall take came to a whopping $238 million, mm. and it remained the highest grossing comedy ever until Home Alone in 1990. Oh, yeah. Right. It had a slightly mixed reception from critics. Gene Siskel said that Murray's comedic sensibilities compensated for the boring special effects. Wow. Mm. Boring. Anything boring. but boring. Mm. Yeah. Might not be great, but they're no, not boring. Exactly. <laughs> Pauline Kale didn't love the chemistry between the leads. She praised Murray's performance, but she said that his lines fall on dead air. Oof. Disagree? Dis- yep. Wholeheartedly disagree. <laughs> yeah. And finally, Roger Ebert. What did he give Ghostbusters out of four chaps? Three. Two. Three. Two. Oh, no, 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 no. 3.5 out of oh, four. Nice fun. He said Ghostbusters is one of those rare movies where the original fragile comic vision has survived a multi-million dollar production. The movie is an exception to the general rule that big special effects can wreck a comedy. I don't know where that general rule is no. made up from. Yeah, no. not in 1984. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> definitely not. No. Yeah. Now, Ghostbusters is universally beloved, of course, with a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 95%. Wow. And a score of 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb. It was nominated for Best Song and Best Visual Effects at the Oscars, losing out to Stevie Wonder and Temple of Doom, respectively. Right. Obviously, Stevie Wonder didn't do the visual effects Temple of Doom. <laughs> no, I mean, they would have been very different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fact that Stevie Wonder doing any visual effects. <laughs> Just loads of clear faces. <laughs> It was nominated a few times at the Golden Globes and BAFTAs, but its only victory was, as we mentioned, the BAFTA for Best Song. Mm. However, it did win the Saturn Award for Best Fantasy Film, so not all bad news. No. No. So going up against some of the big boys in the industry, particularly Steven Spielberg, Ghostbusters unexpectedly came out on top and continues to do so. Yes. Sure does. Sequels and Influence. With the success of Ghostbusters, the sequel was inevitable, mm. but constant wrestling with Bill, the Murricane Murray, proved difficult. Yeah. We did get Ghostbusters 2 in 1989, the original crew returning to please audiences. We were promised Ghostbusters 3 for many years following that, which failed to materialise. Then came the ill-fated Ghostbusters Answer the Call, the female-led reboot in 2016, mm-hmm. directed by Paul Feig. Mm-hmm. Then I suppose the third film in the original timeline came out, 2021 Ghostbusters Afterlife, directed by Jason Reitman, mm. Ivan's son. And we'll be getting a fourth installment next year, 2024. So a lot to get your teeth into there, chaps. Yeah. Westy, what are your general thoughts on the sequels and remake? Do you remember for a long time I used to say Ghostbusters 2 was a better film? Do you remember? Yes, I remember you saying that. Yeah, just furious with us for years. Furious, And yeah. that's the only reason I did it. It's definitely not. <laughs> but I just it ticked all the boxes. I don't mind... The remake, I think, two's good. I don't. I haven't got a real problem with it. Some people have, you know, massive, massive issues with these films and the, the reboots mm-hmm. and the remakes and whatnot. But I think Afterlife is the closest to the tone. I think Jason Reitman knew exactly what he's what his dad would have mm-hmm. kind of done with it. But it's got, a, you know, it's got more of a, a jovial kind of 
kids' film edge, mm -hmm. I think, than the original has. But I think the original's just got such a unique tone and just captured a time and a place and, uh, yeah. and talents of the people mm -hmm. involved that it's impossible to replicate. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, very, very difficult to do that again. Lightning in a bottle, we've said yeah. it. And getting all of these elements together. I mean, look at all of the things that we've talked about, the music, the pop song, mm. the cinematography, the talents at their age that they were at as well, yeah. like their peak. Ivan Reitman, Columbia, a distribution company that would back this vision when yeah. not many people would. Mm -hmm. Well, I went to see Ghostbusters 2 on first release, and I loved it, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it is an enjoyable romp for me, but the writing isn't there. And it's nowhere near the original. It's really enjoyable, and I've watched it many times. Yeah. I like the River of Slime. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Peter McNicholas, Janosch. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of fun. He's, yes, of fun. He is. Yeah. He's Vigo. Oh, oh Vigo. <laughs> command me, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> command me, Lord. <laughs> and that's Max von Sydow doing the voice of Vigo, is so you can't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Lee said about, I'm reluctant to see it, but Lee said about the remake, the better for me. Okay. I actually put it on a couple of days ago thinking, I'll give it another try. Mm. Wish I didn't. I think it's just broad and unfunny, and that's nothing to do with the cast. Yeah. Well, well, maybe Kate McKinnon. Right. The writing is completely inadequate, and Chris Hemsworth's performance just needs to be erased. Erased from existence. <laughs> yeah. Awful stuff. Yeah. Afterlife, it really plays the audience. Very enjoyable. Good additions with Carrie Coon. She's and great. Paul Rudd, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Doesn't do anything new, really. It's got some nice emotional beats, but really hits the nostalgia button. Oh, yeah, mm. massively. Matt, I'm mm. excited for your take on this. Okay. So Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> okay. Okay, right. <laughs> so Ghostbusters 2, yeah, it's fun. Vigo, great villain, like the ghosts. Mm. I do enjoy it. It's lacking a little something, though. And it's yeah. one of those ones, it's hard to put your finger on it. And I think mm. maybe it just doesn't have a really standout set piece. I think that's probably yeah. the thing for me with that one. I think answer the call. I think some of the OTT reactions to that were absolutely embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like before it came out. No, it's not a great film, but it's certainly not an awful film. No, I thought I didn't mind it. I, mind I didn't it. mind it at all. I thought it was perfectly fine, perfectly enjoyable. I really liked the ghost designs in it. I felt that really tapped into what yeah. the Ghostbusters universe should look like. I did not think Ghostbusters Afterlife was fine though. I did not like right. that one. I just thought it, it didn't make me laugh at all. Thought it was bereft of scares. It just seemed to have no consistency with these characters. I didn't buy that Egon would go mad and run away and the other yeah. Ghostbusters would treat him like a joke. I just okay. didn't buy that at all. Yeah. And it was the last 20 minutes that just killed that film Stone Dead for me. It was just such a lazy copy and paste from the first one. Yeah. Bringing everything is, yeah. back, every line back. And I just thought, oh, come on. Like when the original cast turn up, is these tired old men. Like, Bill yeah. Murray literally looks like he's been playing golf 10 minutes down the road. And they've gone, Bill, <laughs> Bill, can we get you half an hour to stick the old suit on? Turn up, will you, mate? And he's like, yeah, go on, then I'll do that. That's like the effort <laughs> they've put into it. Mm. And I remember thinking, like, when I was watching, thinking to myself, oh, please don't do it, please don't do it. But then they did it. They reanimated Harold Ramis. Sorry, yeah. that can get in the bin. Not a fan of that wow. at all. So, yeah, I was really not a fan of Afterlife. So, Ghostbusters 2, answer the call. I'm not in a hurry to rewatch either of them, but I would watch them. I would rather rewatch the entirety of the real Ghostbusters cartoon and that episode of Stranger Things where the kids dress up as the Ghostbusters for Halloween rather than sit through Afterlife again. So would I, Matt. Fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a great episode. So a mixed bag on the sequels and mm. remake reaction there, but I think we're all unanimous in saying that the original Ghostbusters is head and shoulders above anything that came after it. Absolutely. True original film. 
all the right movies ranking. The final part of the show is the much-respected ATRM ranking, where we summarise and score the film out of 10. And I'm going to take the floor first. Okay. okay. I gave the film a 10 four years ago. Mm. And this has been weighing on my mind. We've been through a lot of films in that time. And I've been thinking, does Ghostbusters really stand up to that score, a 10? Mm. The Godfather, Apocalypse Now, Mm. This is Spinal Tap. And I've concluded that it absolutely does. Oh, of course. Tender hooks there. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Despite some flaws in the writing, it's one of the best comedies of any era for me, with at least half a dozen great performances, mm. good solid direction, and as discussed, serious, serious talent behind the camera. Mm. Like the film, there's been no character development in me from the last four years. It's a 10 all day long. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. Matt, what about you? Yeah, it, it's a key film for this era. And mm. I always try to look at these films, particularly from this era, as objectively as possible and take the nostalgia element away because I don't think nostalgia tells you how good something actually is. It just tells you how it makes you feel because mm-hmm. that's how you felt back then. But one key test for me, and this is purely a personal thing, is it's how my son watches films from this era because he doesn't have that nostalgic filter for any of them. So yeah. showed him the Goonies, yeah. for example, and he thought it was pretty average. And what? I think... I think he's pretty much on the money there with, with that one, for example. Showed him this one, and this is still in his top 10 films of all time, and I think it right. does work outside of nostalgia because okay. it's got such a great tone and it is scary when it needs to be. It is funny when it needs to be. And it's impossible to not enjoy it, but there are definite flaws. Like I say, some of the effects work is a little bit, oh, if, if they had just a bit more money to smarten those yeah. bits up. And mm-hmm. even as a kid, I always thought, I always felt sorry for Winston. I just thought he'd get shortchanged so Short badly. Drift. Yeah. yeah. And I think if you read into that and what that character was originally going to be, it's say, like, oh, I do feel sorry for Annie Hudson. Yeah. And then ultimately for me, I consider this one against other films of the time and does it have the craft and the ingenuity and the personal stamp that Raiders gets from Spielberg? I don't think it does. Does it have the heart and emotion of Back to the Future? I don't think it has that either. So it's very close to those films. It's just not quite those films for me. So it's getting a nine. Nine. Mm. Yeah. A good solid score. Oh, it's a great score. <laughs> well, you would say that. It's well, yours. well, it's nine. <laughs> it's only one off perfection. It's pretty good. What about you, Westy? Yeah, it's not nostalgia that makes me love this film. I love this film because it makes me nostalgic. I nice. feel the same way as I did when I first saw it. And like Matt said, I, I put it on for my kids. And they're just, Evan especially, he's just obsessed with Ghostbusters. Mm. He thinks they look cool, thinks they sound yeah. cool. He does do. I was, things that I was worried about that he might pick up on, like the smoking <laughs> or there's that weird scene with with the Ackroyd and I'm just saying, yeah. no, is he going to be all right? There's quite a bit mm-hmm. of swearing in it, but it just kind of, it's it's masked over just by how enjoyable it is mm. and how lovable it is and how great the characters are yeah, and how everybody involved in this is at the top of the game, is highly celebrated, and it really does capture a moment for me in, in cinema, in this comedy genre. It really mm-hmm. does stand up there as one of the leading lights of it. And a lot has been owed to Ghostbusters, I think, over the years. I've loved watching it again for this. And it's nothing short of a 10 for me. Wow. Yes. Top marks. Very nice. Yep. Okay. Our fourth and final score for Ghostbusters comes from our Twitter faithful. We asked our followers to rate the film out of 10. I have the scores. But first, some comments. Mm-hmm. Okay. Eric Mahosey at Philly Fan Guy said, My favourite movie of all time, short and sweet. Hey, well done, Eric. There yeah. we go. Lovely. Yeah. 
Nick Gold at Nicholas Gold 1 said, 10 out of 10, perfect. Huge special effects comedy with blockbuster success, still an unusual achievement. Extremely funny, great writing, endlessly quotable. Bill Murray gives one of the great comedic performances in film history, making it look effortless. Mm, true. Yep. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Yep. And finally, Cookie Pants at Mike J. Best said, I saw this in the theatre in Houston opening weekend. I was 18. He said, when the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man appeared, I fell out of my seat into the aisle laughing. <laughs> loves it. He loves great, it. Great, great story. So very positive. Mm. There were, of course, some unforgivable fours and threes in there. Why? But we'll ignore those. Yeah. So out of 10 chaps, what do you think Ghostbusters averaged on Twitter? Just going by how much it's adored by people. And everyone I speak to, if you mention Ghostbusters, they just smile. I think it's a full 10. Yeah, full I'll, 10. I'll, I'll be amazed if it's less than a 10. Wow. Okay, well... Prepare to be amazed, Matt. Oh. It was a nine. Oh, okay. Wow. Which means that overall it has a score of 38 out of 40. Mm. Strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very strong. Yep, yep. Four years ago, it got exactly the same score on Twitter. And there we go. Nine. Yeah. But it also, from the podcast and Twitter combined, it got a 37. So it's edging up the leaderboard at 38. Okay. Lovely. So when we do it again in four years, it'll be, might get the full 39. 40. 39. Yeah. And then 40. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll catch up. Yeah. You can see where Ghostbusters ranks against itself and all the other films that we've covered over the last four years by visiting alltherightmovies.com forward slash leaderboard. Mm. Join us next time on All The Right Movies when John, Matt and Westy will be spending time with R.P. McMurphy and Nurse Ratchet. One flew east, one flew west, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> Looking forward to that one, fellas. Oh, it's yeah. a monumental film, that. It's always been Absolutely. huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know you two are great big fans of it. Yes, and I'm sure John is the same, so mm-hmm. it should be a great One episode. Of very, very favourite. Yep. What a performance. Our most recent Patreon exclusive podcast is on two early solid efforts from M. Night Shyamalan, mm-hmm. Unbreakable and Signs. Yep. yep. We gave our patrons a great show, and you can get your hands on it too by becoming a director's chair to your patron. Mm-hmm. Has a twist, believe it or not. Oh, there's a lot of twists. There's a lot of twists. Twists and turns. As mentioned at the top of the show, you can get access to all of those podcasts mentioned and more. Have a say in what films that we cover and the scores that they get. That is patreon.com forward slash all the right movies. You can also buy our podcast individually on our website, all the right movies.com. Don't forget that if you are an ATRM patron or you do subscribe to us on Twitter, you can become part of our exclusive Twitter community. Loads of great guys and gals on there and us four. Yes. yes, we are. And if you want more ATRM stuff, we've got content coming out on our social media every day. All five-star stuff as well. On mm-hmm. Twitter, we are at ATRightMovies. A whole range of movie content on there, including our much ballyhooed making of movie threads. <laughs> yes, no, indeed. indeed. We do our painstaking research to bring you the best. All of our thread info comes directly from the cast and crew or is corroborated by at least three sources, just like our podcasts yep, yep. that you're listening to now, just like our website articles. So don't forget to check them out. Yes, yes, please, please do. do, guys. Unprecedented content. Yeah. Mm, oh, yeah. I love it, Westy. There you go. I've, Ram, I've ram it up. up at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> on Instagram and threads, we are at all the underscore right movies. On TikTok, we are at all the right movies. Join our Facebook group. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and like our videos. They go up regularly. They include the whole ATRM team and our excellent stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you really like this podcast, or even if you just liked it, we'd love it if you could give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars all the way. 
I wouldn't settle for anything less. No, of course not. Absolutely not. No. And our website is alltherightmovies.com. Whoo! A lot of stuff to keep you busy. Yep, indeed. Check it all out. And that is a wrap, everyone. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass! <laughs> <laughs> Very good. We're off to find a Twinkie, 35 foot long, and weighing approximately 600 pounds. Yes. <laughs> Come back for Cuckoo's Nest in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed yeah. it. Yes, Thanks, thank guys. you very much for listening, guys. Appreciate it. I've quit better jobs than this. <laughs> <laughs>